Well, hello and welcome to episode number 371 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, a passenger tries to take up piloting by attempting to break into the flight deck and a E-190 gets special clearance into London City and a hundred-year-old man logs some sim time. In the military, we have a lot of news from the US Air Force as the uh, they begin to evaluating electric aircraft for medical uh, uh, evacuation missions. They retire the last uh, OC-135 Treaty verification aircraft and they abandon plans to replace their fleet of 757s or C-32 VIP aircraft while the US Navy conducts the first air-to-air refuelling from an unmanned to manned aircraft. So joining me this week, and I'd love to read what I've written in the show notes here, but I'm not going to. <laughs> joining me this week, sitting beside me here in the PTUK studios, it is of course Matt Smith. See, I can see what he's written in the show notes there, and I want to know which one of us is Boney M. <laughs> frankly <laughs> but anyway there we go <laughs> well i was going to say that uh, al could be ali g but uh, right yeah. okay <laughs> and on that bombshell move on <laughs> so so uh, for those for those of you who don't already know matt has just come off the back of doing an entire week of breakfast shows for oh, local radio <laughs> and what a great job he done as well moving on go on you kept me entertained on my journey into work I i'm very grateful of your tra- of your actual live roving travel yeah. reports they were very helpful matt, uh, matt dis- had dis- proper you. live yeah. traffic I did. updates yeah literally yeah voice notes being sent while you know honestly <laughs> never mind yes anyway Anyway, joining us uh, across uh, across the lands in the UK here in his sprawling estate in Buckinghamshire it is, of course, Neville Bounds. And um, apart from the big hay fever that's going on today, I'm uh, feeling very chipper. Thank you very much. Oh, uh, hay fever. On uh, hey? Monday, I should be going on a real plane from a real airport. What? Wow. I know. What? Which airport? Where? How? <laughs> don't don't tell Heathrow. anyone. No, it's only Heathrow to Edinburgh. But Oh, okay. Hey, you know, I've missed it. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet. No, genuinely, I bet I bet I bet you have. Yeah. I really yeah. do. So it'll be uh, quite interesting to see how many people are around as well. Um, mm. so, uh, yeah, I'm going out there for a few days for work. So. And, and which lounge has now been closed? That's also <laughs> well, yes, they've they've opened them all, I think. But um, yeah, oh, okay. they've um, they've had to. Well, it's just not the same sort of setup as they had previously. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the uh, the bacon rolls are like. Uh, that's yeah, sort of that's true. The important stuff. That's the thing, actually, now, with you travelling, or going to go back to travelling now, Nev, that you need to make sure these lounges are actually open for BA, that you have yes. access to, you know, because all that, all that lovely food and drink that you'll be missing out. Well, I can't have that. I can't have that. That's... No. And uh, talking of uh, lovely food and bacon rolls and uh, glorious food, it gives me great pleasure to welcome back onto the show. We haven't had him on for a little while, and uh, he is, of course, the connoisseur of all fine foods. It is captain Al. and ice cream especially and ice cream yeah. <laughs> hello al hello all a very good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you happen to be and yes it's it's probably true that nev is the expert connoisseur on bats and uh, <laughs> i'm sure he'll be bringing you a a uh, in-depth report on the baps that he finds at heathrow his next <laughs> i'm too tired for this sorry <laughs> Looking forward to that. As, as long as they're flower dusted bats, it's fine. <laughs> Don't you start, crikey. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, I was going to say, how, how are things with you? What, what have you been up to? What's uh, what's life? How's life treating you? 
Uh, life is treating me well, thank you very much for asking. I've um, been quite busy during the course of the week doing my sort of daily job and um, yeah, enjoying the nice weather as it so goes. And uh, I've had a glass or two of champagne because it's the wedding anniversary and we both remembered, so that's always a bonus. Right, <laughs> that's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got no music lined up, but congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. Indeed. How, how many years? I, I can say, how long is it? Yes, it's been 15 years. Wow. wow. That's very cool. I know. Quite a shocker, really. It's not going to get less for murder. Then? Me and Gemma will be 10 years in September. Wow. Ooh. Okay. Mm. Uh, Mr. Bounds, I almost don't know. Well, actually, shall I ask? Perhaps I shouldn't ask Mr. Bounds. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, uh, uh, it's two years uh, oh, this cool. time around. It's because <laughs> they reset each time you get a new one, don't they? <laughs> The bank balance reduces. Right, yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> Absolutely damaged, yeah, indeed. Oh, well, I'm sorry I asked now. <laughs> I bet you'd wish that you'd paid more attention and, and developed a bigger friendship with the kid at your school who wanted to be a solicitor, aren't you? Oh, absolutely, yes. In fact, there, there was somebody at school... Um, it was uh, Luke Jacobs, I seem to recall. Um, but uh, yes, funnily enough, he ended up on the wrong side of the law. At my oh point. no! Oh, there's <laughs> always and one. Never was never seen again. So, yeah. Oh dear! There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, Karen Davis in my year at school. Uh, she's a solicitor. She's the same age as me, obviously, because we're in the same class. Uh, she retires this year, so therein lies a tale. Oh dear! Gosh, oh boy! Yes, their uh, their mm. day rates. Uh, oh, sorry, their hourly rates aren't, aren't bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've read your email and uh, here's my 175 yes, quite, Is it one of those where you're just sort of thinking like you're sort of watching your friends around you starting to retire and you think what is it I did wrong again uh, mm. to not be doing mm. the same <laughs> So you've read the email, do you have an opinion on it? Oh you want an opinion? Oh, that's an extra oh. 175 pounds <laughs> of course Now this does sound like somebody who's who's been bitten mm. by this I suspect but there we go, mm. never mind Anyway, should we talk about some aviation? Yeah, we? let's talk yeah. about some aviation um, So uh, last weekend, on Saturday uh, I had a very special guest uh, fly in uh, to join me Did at you? Beckles. I actually had, took up the, took the chance to go up to my old club where I started my flying uh, lessons many years ago uh, to go and see some of my friends up there who because uh, the club has completely changed. It's has an it? absolute. Uh, I know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, uh, I had uh, the pleasure of welcoming uh, Captain Al in uh, in his piper into onto the field, and uh, we've got a little video to play just before we uh, chat a bit more about that. So Matt, if you want to hit the button.
and there is Al leaving there at the end of uh, the afternoon. We had a we had a lovely afternoon, didn't we, uh, Al? We we did indeed. Um, yeah, I have to say, uh, as you know, I'm a big uh, fan of general aviation and a big supporter of it. And I know that you talked previously about the sort of pseudo demise of of Beckles or Ella, as it you call it. I know. And I'd heard that it had been rejuvenated and that they had, you know, new eating facilities. And wow, what a place it's turned into, eh? Absolutely awesome. Yeah, it's definitely changed uh, for the better. They've got uh, loads of facilities now, uh, restaurant, bar, uh, really nice places to eat uh, outside, sitting or seating places outside. Um, they've also got now as well um, places you can actually stay, actually rent like a, a kind oh, of, wow, really? bit of a glamping kind of uh, affair. You know, you can stay in a really nice um, little kind of like little kind of mobile home style affair, oh, but cool. really, really well done inside. Absolutely fantastic accommodation, and the club is is a completely different place altogether. If I strongly recommend, if anyone watching is uh, a, a GA pilot and has the chance to fly into Beckles. Uh, it's well worth a visit and um, indeed and that salad that you had looked amazing yes it did Al yes the salad that we both had was a fantastic salad Sa- that we had salad yes it, it was a salad trust me but uh, actually what I can ask you Al salad is, yes a salad trust me was I don't uh, believe you I don't believe you <laughs> oh, going, going back to my days as, as a solo um, solo pilot uh, taking off from that runway there at uh, Beckles, remembering the the uh, kind of potholes and stuff that you'd have to miss on you know on your uh, run out. Um, I'm guessing that obviously you landed on their new runway, which was uh, a lot uh, better, Al. Uh, very much so. Yes, it's still got the the grass starter extension. Um, I'm guessing that there's some sort of planning reason or constructional reason, or just simply cost that they weren't able to turn it all into tarmac. But yeah, it, it's a uh, a lovely tarmac runway that uh, sits on top of the old concrete um, and yeah great absolutely fantastic um, a real warm welcome um, when we arrived obviously you're quite a well-known character there and uh, you know I've obviously smoothed over the waters now when you're allowed to go back but um, <laughs> quite yes <laughs> um, but um, uh, but needless to say um, I was made very welcome and I'm allowed to go back anytime I good, want good. to <laughs> Um, but no, no, great and um, nice to see lots of activity going on and uh, I've done my, my, my little bit in trying to, to promote it but um, I, I can see a, a bright future for Beckles there under the, under the, uh, the current setup. Yeah, yeah, it's well worth a visit and also as well um, they've got a really good uh, helicopter training uh, centre there at Virage who mm. also do helicopter training which is also a big part of uh, of the area there so um, yeah, well worth a visit if you're in the area uh, go mm. and have a look do, so, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so we have no Armando this week on the show with us but uh, he has uh, been working hard uh, to put together um, the bits and pieces for us to play out on the show and uh, he sent us some pictures as well of his uh, tough life that he's uh, having uh, in the skies uh, with uh, a caption when do you <laughs> he says when do you guys edit show notes he's put in here um, the pictures I think Matt's got on the screen I think you'll get those on the screen in just a moment but he's been unfortunately uh, Armando's been slumming it in seat 3F um, oh dear, oh, not quite one A oh, then. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, goodness, mate. Yeah, um, someone called Neville was in one A at the of time. Course, but, uh, yeah, 
uh, seat three off so you can see the pictures of those of you watching on uh, YouTube there of uh, where Armando has been flying over in the US but uh, he was in first class on American Airlines. Indeed, apparently. absolutely. And this the picture that we're referring to here, we should just explain this picture here is why it says in the show notes here, when, where do you guys do the show notes? He did it with his iPad uh, in first class whilst tucking into a sandwich mid-flight. As sandwich. You, well, that tells you all you need to know, doesn't it, about American Airlines first class? <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm amazed. That's good skills. He's, that is. He's, got he's, a, he's got a bloody Mary on the go. Right. Okay. I don't think that's what. Is it? Yeah. Oh, it is. It says yeah. so on the can yeah. and everything. Yeah. Uh, Rumble. On the can. Yeah. On the can. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh oh. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, it's not, you know, whatever it is, Great Eastern Northern Anglian Rail. Here, <laughs> <you know. laughs> not quite. Indeed. A yes. can of Bloody Mary. Yeah. Does the, the Worcester sauce come in a sachet, does it? <laughs> that the Americans would call a sachet. <laughs> right. Okay. Lovely. Uh, <clears throat> no, it comes in one of those, those plastic round tomatoes with a squeezy. Um, Don't do thing. that on yeah. camera. Thank Sorry. you. <laughs> that's, anyway, that's, that's uh, we better move on before we get in trouble. <laughs> Um, so uh, acknowledging everyone in the chat room as we do each week so uh, we're going to thank everyone who joined us uh, in the in the live YouTube chat room this evening and also big thanks to anyone listening to the audio version don't forget if you want to join in on the madness that is the YouTube chat room because I'm sure it is crazy in there this evening uh, you can uh, go over to YouTube and click on the notification button and the uh, the subscribe button as well over on Plain Talking UK just search for us on YouTube uh, if you already haven't done that as well and those in regularly in the chat room will know that we normally have a bit of pre-show and post-show banter and you can directly interact with the hosts and the community is a fantastic place to be in the chat room. But please don't uh, let that put you off, but having no. to interact with us. So, please don't let that be a negative. And that's a virtual interaction, not a physical interaction. No, it indeed. is. Well yes. done. So, not, not since the lawsuit, anyway. Hello to, <laughs> let's run through the list here, Richard Adams. Hello to you, Richard Adams. John Jester, uh, Graham Haley, Stephen Ivey. Hello to you, Stephen. Uh, Jenny in Rome, over in Rome, where it's raining. I can't believe that. It's sunny here. Uh, we've got our main man, Micah. Look hello to you, Uncle called. Micah. Uh, Sturman, hello to you, Garth. Hope you are well. Uh, saw him a few times today. Uh, Tony S, hello to you. Dirk S, uh, APG Show. Not sure who, which one of those uh, APG um, hosts is Doesn't really in matter. charge They're all there very this important. Yeah. Uh, Arnie Carlson. Hello to you, Arnie. Uh, new new face there yeah, in the chat room. Hello name. to you, Arnie Welcome. Carlson. Yeah, well, thanks for joining Whereabouts us. Whereabouts are you in the world, uh, Arnie Carlson? Just because we're very nosy. We're very yeah. nosy, yeah. And obviously Neville Bounds is in there with his uh, wielding his blue spanner of doom. Ooh. Uh, keeping so an eye watch out. Things. So watch out. It's not out, feeling yeah. particularly strict tonight. So are you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, there we are. Good luck, everyone. So we've got loads to get through tonight. Loads of news stories and including some military as well which has been sent to us this week as uh, by Armando and sorry don't panic Al you haven't got to read them it's alright no, it's, <laughs> it's alright we'll overrun anywhere and it'll just get so without <laughs> further ado APG's on later isn't it so yes, it's it's on. On. we have to finish on time don't we yes. yes absolutely so without further ado we are going to kick off the show then as we do each week with a rundown of the weekly news from across the world and the UK so if everyone is ready certainly are born ready <laughs> Thank you. 
So kicking off this week's first news story, and this one comes to us from Reuters.com and Yahoo.com. And Delta Airlines flight diverted to New Mexico after passenger tries to breach the cockpit. And that wasn't me either. Uh, so an unruly passenger who tried breaking uh, into the cockpit of a Delta Airlines flight bound for Tennessee uh, from California was subdued by cabin crew and fellow passengers as the plane was diverted to New Mexico, officials said. Delta Flight 386 from Los Angeles bound for Nashville arrived at uh, Albuquerque International Sunport where authorities removed the passenger from the plane and took him into custody, an airport spokesperson said. Delta said the 737-900 had 162 passengers and six crew members on board. An FBI in Albuquerque said on Twitter that it was responding to the incident and that there was no threat to the public at this time, but provided no further details. The airline and law enforcement did not say whether the individual was armed or whether he was under the influence of alcohol and drugs or what may have prompted the outburst. No one was hurt during the incident and the flight resumed its trip to Nashville after the diversion, uh, the airport spokesperson said. Uh, Los Angeles-based CBS News affiliate KCBS-TV posted cell phone video taken by several passengers showing a man lying on his stomach in the aisle of the aircraft repeatedly yelling, Stop this plane! as he was being restrained. Uh, a flight attendant uh, and passengers bound his hands and feet with yellow cord, then carried him to the rear of the aircraft where he was placed face down on the seat, uh, the video clip showed. And thank you to that uh, scooter driving person for going past the window. Uh, was that your pizza being delivered? Hopefully, yes. Margarita snack. So storming. I mean, we we all know that trying to do this is a bit of a, a fruitless kind of task, really, because the flight deck doors, as we know, after. Uh, 9 11 were all uh, rather reinforced slightly. Um, but uh, Al, I'm guessing in your years of uh, flying the various airlines you've flown for, you never had anyone try to uh, join you on the flight deck? No, I think it's one of those situations where it's only going to end in tears, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. And long may that continue. And, and, frankly. A, and a long ban. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yes. It's, um, I mean, part of me sort of. Uh, almost asking the question like what what is it at what point did they think that in any way that was going to be successful i mm. mean did they had they forgotten about you know the rule change since 911 therefore they were locked and bolted and i, I just can't i, watched I worry a, about humans sometimes. i watched a really interesting <laughs> thing on uh, one of the discovery channel type networks a few months back and it was it, they were talking about people's um their kind of reactions and how they react now if something ever happened like this on an aircraft if someone got a bit rowdy right and they were saying now how obviously since 9-11 and the kind of terroristy things and stuff that, that go on that went on that they were saying that uh, passengers now are more likely to to step up yeah and um they didn't say it like this but kick the right the jeebers okay. out My of anyone trying to be Naughty. I mean, because I don't know if, I mean, ironically, and I'm sure, I don't know what Al thinks about that, but, I mean, presumably that doesn't necessarily help the situation and or the cabin crew, because, um, you know, they're obviously experienced and trained in trying to deal with these situations. But, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it, yeah, it, it, as we've said, um, usually the people who attempt to do this are either genuinely confused as they're trying to find the lavatory. That happens from time to time. Um, they're confused because um, you know they may have a medical condition 
um, or, or they have some sort of mental affliction. Um, but yeah, anybody who tries to uh, to uh, break into the cockpit of a commercial airliner is going to come unstuck. In no mm. certain terms, yeah. It's where we so need that uh, that old, um, um, you know, quick access Axe. door. <laughs> you know, that uh, just open the door. Bye. No, I, I like Al's version. Yeah. Axe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, we'll move on to the next story then. And uh, as always, story number two is a Ryanair story. And this one is, um, I must say, I'm slightly surprised, yet sort of pleased about, frankly. It's that EU courts halt 550 million euro uh, aid to airline Condor following Ryanair Challenge. So an EU court has halted a German bid to give a 550 million euro state aid to airline Condor following a challenge by Irish carrier Ryanair. Uh, Germany agreed to lend Condor 550 million, pounds in, uh, million euros in state loans last year due to COVID-19 in a move uh, later approved by the European Commission. The General Court of the European Union annulled the Commission's uh, decision to allow this aid, the aid this week, but suspended its ruling pending a further decision by officials. Ryanair had argued that the Commission failed to take into account the damage caused to the Condor's business by its own insolvency when it ruled that the aid from the German state did not breach EU law. Uh, in its ruling, the General... Uh, the General Court states that um, the Commission should have examined carefully whether or not the damage suffered by Condor was decisively the result of the pandemic. Uh, Condor was part of the Thomas Cook Group, which collapsed in 2019, forcing the airline to file for insolvency, after which the German government loaned it £380 million. The insolvency proceedings were extended to April 2020, when an investor, which was previously lined up to rescue the airline pulled out of the deal. Ryanair welcomed the finding. The Irish group pointed out that while Covid had hit all airlines, Germany had decided to support only its inefficient national carriers, including Condor. Ryanair pointed out that EU governments had given €30 billion Euros in aid to former flag carriers through the Covid-19 crisis. Um, I mean, interesting one. This one, yeah. So, um, do you imagine how much of that five hundred and fifty million euros is left? Because yeah. if you're <laughs> yeah. sat at Condor and you're thinking, "Oh, well, we've got a, a hundred million euros left of that nice money that the German government lent us," but we've got this court case coming up, and it could go either way. I think we'll spend it. Yes, we can't give back what we've not got. Indeed, indeed, and of course, I suppose the last thing that any uh, court would want is to have a business essentially collapse. As a result of its ruling, although I suppose that you know that the, there is a precedent for that, I know, but uh, I don't know. It, it's, I mean, on the one hand, I'm sort of, I don't know. I see. I, I have to be a bit careful how I answer this one because, uh, you know, part of me is thinking, well, if you know, if the if the German government wants to help out one of its German carriers, but of course they're a member of the EU, so I don't know. This is this is well, such a I mean, minefield, the, isn't it? If you remember, uh, this is going back a while now, but I think Air France was on the wrong side of this at, at one point as well, uh, where they had, um, I believe, they had received some state aid as, as well. Um, so, but th this this does happen, I think, from time to time, and that mm. it's up to quite often other airlines to, to challenge the uh, the, uh, the ruling or the situation, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, do you think this will essentially mean collapse? Though, I mean, that's that's the ultimate question here, I guess. No, 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 
someone will get a slap on the wrist and say, awfully sorry, yeah, yeah, um, when we've got it, we'll give it back to you. Don't worry about that, old bean. Um, <laughs> but in the meantime, we'll just carry on and pretend it won't. Uh, it hasn't happened. How does that suit you? Right. And I'm sure the German government will go, yeah, yeah, it's okay, fine, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. But I mean, I mean, I, I suppose you could argue, understandably, uh, Mr. O'Leary has very much got a, a bee in his bonnet over this. He's got um, an absolute point. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, this 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 practice, you know, continues to to go on year in year out. Um, I mean, I, I dread to think how many, probably billions, Alitalia has received from the Italian yeah. government. I mean, yeah. okay. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure that's been funded by the the italian government since it's almost conception so um i mean obviously we have you know the latest reincarnation of alitalia just about to pop its head out of the you know the eggshell of the last demise so um yeah o'leary has a very valid point and he you know he he's made his point he's you know uh but halted the bid to give Condor 550 million euros. Well, I suspect that money's already changed hands. Right. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but at what point do you, do you stop bailing out? You know, I, I mean, we all love the aviation industry and we all want it to survive through this horrific situation. I mean, but at what point do you sort of say enough is enough? I mean, well, to me, it's a little bit like um, there are certain parts of the UK where for periods of time they've tried to instigate 20 mile an hour speed limits and have just basically given up enforcing it because it's almost enforceable. So I think it's probably time in some ways that the EU said, well, okay, if, if governments want to uh, prop up their state airlines, yeah. carry on, because it just goes on under the nose of the regulator. Um, and okay, the, the, the court's made a ruling, but is it going to change anything? No, it won't. So mm. it's just one of those pointless unenforceable rules and ultimately do you think it's right that you know governments support businesses in their countries well probably yes i mean i think if it were a case that say for example uh british airways was going to collapse um would it be reasonable that the government stepped in to secure jobs well yes i think it would be um well of course we i are would argue this... that that the, the, the government should take a a shareholding in the airline so that the, you know when the debts are repaid or whatever and dividends can be paid then the taxpayer gets gets some benefit out of that but um you know the, the this whole thing is just it's it's all wibbly wobbly with regards to who who stands by the rules and who doesn't because a lot of industries here in the UK and, of course, around Europe and things have been benefiting from what we're referring to as a as a furlough scheme. But obviously, you know, there are different schemes that are more or less doing similar things throughout the rest of Europe. I mean, you know, we're in unprecedented times at the, at the moment, really, aren't we, where so many businesses are being propped up by by governments just to sort of, you know, try and get us out of this. Mm. Yes, indeed. Nev, you have got uh, the next story. Yes, it's on the BBC website uh, and uh, here's some 
industry reaction to the planned US-UK uh, plans to reopen travel. Uh, but travel industry figures have dismissed the latest moves by the US and the UK to reopen travel. A new task force will be set up to make recommendations on easing restrictions as part of an Atlantic charter. A number 10 statement said that the UK Prime Minister and the US President would work to relaunch UK-US travel as soon as possible. The task force will be overseen in the UK by Transport Secretary Grant Shapps and will be chaired by senior officials in the UK and the US. But the Virgin Atlantic Chief Exec, uh, Shea Weiss, says that the announcement falls short. He said that the lack of a specific time frame for reopening travel meant that airlines, businesses and passengers faced a lack of certainty. Uh, so ahead of the start of the G7 summit in Cornwall this week, uh, Mr Vice urged Mr Biden and Mr Johnson to allow transatlantic travel no later than the 4th of July. Criticism about the plan's lack of specificity, uh, specific, specificity and that is quite difficult to say, uh, was also <laughs> raised by other key industry figures, including Clive Ratton, who's chief exec of the Business Travel Association and the Association of British Travel Agents, ABTA. Uh, and a letter calling for transatlantic travel to open on Monday. Uh, airline bosses and Heathrow Airport estimated that UK businesses are losing £23 million per day that the route remains closed. Well, nearly all passengers from the UK are currently banned from travelling to the US and under a presidential decree introduced last March, non-US citizens who have been in the UK in the last 14 days cannot enter the country unless a specific exemption applies. Meanwhile, travellers from the US to the UK must self-isolate for 10 days on arrival as the country is currently on the amber list. Marvellous. Oh Marvellous. So what uh, we need there is a is a whole group of people to set together a task force. Now, Mr Shapps comes in for a bit of criticism by from a lot of people, but I've got this sorted, okay? What I'm going to do is after the show... I'm going to whiz down to Cornwall and I'm going to take Mr. Biden and Mr. Johnson and we're going to go to the little chef in Camborne. Oh, no, don't do that to them. Down. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to say, Joe, I've got the big bender for you because, right. okay, you're American and, and the hot dog, that's going to make you feel at home. <laughs> Boris, I've got the Jubilee pancake for you because I know you're a big royalist and that's going to make you feel at home. Okay. We're going to sit down around the table, cup of tea, chaps, and I'm going to say, Joe, are you going to let Boris's people have been vaccinated into your country? Good man, thank you very much. Boris, are you going to let Joe's people who have been vaccinated into your country? Thank you, good man. Problem solved, let's move on. Have a knickerbocker glory and celebrate. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm with you 100%, but I'm not entirely sure that the, you know, the leader of the free world, as he's often referred to, I'm not sure that we should, well, I don't think anybody should have to endure a little chef. Let a, let a What's wrong with a big bender? <laughs> absolutely nothing. There's nothing I can say to that. Uh, <laughs> there's absolutely nothing. All you need to do, I mean, get, get Amando onto this because he's got connections right. over there. Okay. Get yes. him on his special telephone. Joe, are you up for a big bender? Right, okay. I mean... <laughs> I mean, we don't need a task force. Hell's teeth. It can all be solved in the little chef in Camborne. Right. Also, I've got to say that this this green, uh, amber and red business is just unworkable. But it's challenging for yeah. colourblind people, isn't it? I mean, that, that's <laughs> <Yeah. it's> discriminatory. <laughs> 
quite. Yes, I it is nonsense. I'm not it is there. a bit, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know. I mean, and of course, we, you know, we we should, you know, sort of say probably. And I appreciate, you know, there's lots of people who who've chosen not to have the vaccine or uh, are unable to have it for medical reasons and stuff. And there is an argument that obviously. Uh, well, that's you know, fine. There's... They can fly to Mexico and then just go in the midst of the night, just hop over the wall, and right. that, that's that. That's fine. Right. You know. That's how it's been done for hundreds of years. No, uh, to be serious for a moment, what we don't need here is we don't need six months of a task force yeah. to basically you Delay know, things. undo something yeah. that was done in 20 minutes. So yeah. all it needs is just someone to go down and bash a couple of bonzes together and say, come on, right, let's get this sorted out. We yeah. don't need some, you know, 20 people, you know, with diplomatic baggage, you know, toing and froing. If you can't sort it out over a breakfast at the Little Chef, it's not worth bothering about. <laughs> Quite okay. I mean, you know, and here's and I'm hoping that sort of come October time that certainly this sort of thing would have been uh, sorted out because there are rumours of a trip being planned in in the Matt household at the moment. Mm. Okay, good. going going to uh, possibly to the states. So we're living in hope. Join me in join me in December when I hopefully will be. Able yeah, to... indeed. So we'll see we'll see what happens mm. there. But uh, I mean, but as Nev Nev says, so of course the the biggest problem we've had, and I know we we, we talked about this at length last week as well. But of course, um, it's the ambiguity, isn't it? It's the not knowing, and it and mm. it's the sort of the dithering and the. The, the the changing of, of minds and things like that as you say like with the with like the 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 green amber and red list for example and you know lots of questions being asked about why portugal was suddenly dumped on the list when you know their covid cases are no worse than ours and, and all that kind of thing i mean it's just it's just all and i'm sure you agree with me on this one never it's just all the uncertainty it's just not fair on holidaymakers businesses just so much of it is could have been all the airlines because frankly if this this task force takes six months there won't be any airlines left in the uk so you know let's you know put a bit of you know uh urgency into this you know this is um you know this is multi-billion pound decision making Mm. um and you know prevaricating is not the way to go yeah. Also, I think you know we've had enough of aircraft on the ground and yeah. furloughed mm. crews, uh, and so have they. Uh, and it costs a fortune to yeah. keep aircraft on the ground. It does. Um, and, and and I think that there's been some massive misjudgments here. Uh, we've got to get people flying again if they've been double vaccinated and they can prove that they have been and the arrangement can be made with the country that they're going to, I really don't see what the problem is. Well, it's a starting point, isn't it? And and quite frankly, um, I mean, okay, I mean, you know, if anybody's got any objections to, to, you know, the little chef, well, Wendy's are opening up a branch (laughs) in Reading. Um, Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've just done some internet research and there is no little chef in Camborne. Oh, dear. Oh, Oh, dear. Oh, Oh, no. So straight away we've we've failed. We've hit a problem there. Absolutely. I'm trying to think what other rubbish uh, road calves we could. Dave's think of. burger van. Dave, oh no, no. I'm rather partial to a burger van. I mm, have to be honest. Okay. Maybe that's what we need. What we need to do is we need we need to take Boris and uh, Joe to the A11. Is it the A11 where you've got? Um, is it Wendy's Baps? Oh yes, 
yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah in the yeah, lay by yeah, there. Yeah, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think that's clearly what we need to do. We need to. We well, need he's, to he's look, I, I think Mildred, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. I think true. we had a bit of a tough sell with, you know, hey, Joe, do you want a big bender? But we might be really stretching it with, do you want to come and see Wendy's baps? <laughs> <laughs> well, quite. Anyway, I think we probably, probably, I'm being shouted at in my ear by our producer, so I think we should probably uh, uh, move on. Right. Right? Al, <laughs> you've got, uh, Al, you're, you're talking about London City here. Okay, right, fantastic. So this is the, uh, the E190-E2 gaining its steep approach clearance for London City. So EASA, the European Safety Agency, has certified Embraer's E190-E2 for steep approach, a requirement to operate at London City Airport. The airport is strategically placed close to London's financial district. However, the airport has a steep approach and short runway, as well as strict noise regulations, so operating aircraft must meet the relevant regulations. The E190-E2 is the first variant of the new E2 family of regional jets to enter service. Embraer says that the aircraft's wings, engines and systems make the E190-E2 aircraft significantly quieter than the previous E190 and has a 63% smaller noise footprint at takeoff than current E190s operating from London City. These figures, which have been confirmed by EASA in certification testing. The steep approach system on the E190-E2 enables increased ascent angles of up to 5.5 degrees, the normal ILS being 3 degrees. The system is enabled using a software upgrade and the installation of a corresponding steep approach switch on the cockpit control panel. Due to the cockpit commonality between the E190 and the E190-E2, pilots already cleared for London City operation need no simulator-based training to use the steep approach function. The E190-E2 is also 17% more efficient than its predecessor in terms of fuel burns and emissions. 17% is massive, by the way, in aircraft speak, uh, while at the same time offering a much greater range. Its range from London City has nearly doubled, with the E190-E2 able to uh, cover over 4,000 kilometres, opening up such destinations as Istanbul, Casablanca and Moscow for operators. Uh, so there you go. As it so happens, uh, British Airways City Flyer are already operating the E190 out of London City. Um, but uh, this this brings into it, um, you know, a, a real improvement, uh, A, for the people who live around uh, London City Airport, because it is surrounded by, by a built-up area, um, but it also uh, really opens up the, the commercial opportunities for operators uh, to, uh, to extend their wings out further. So, That's uh, a great, great news. Uh, hell of a range on the aircraft, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, London City to Moscow, um, be interesting to see that if they can do that uh, uh, on a wet runway with a, a low Q and H. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's uh, it, I mean, it's great. And that's 17 percent efficiency saving. That's that's massive. That's please, that's big bucks. Please, please forgive my ignorance here, Al. But what's what's the Q and H that you mentioned there? OK, so that's the, the pressure. So, you know, like when when we have low pressure dominating the UK, and uh, you, you feel kind of more pushed into your seat and depressed. Right. Well, it's exactly the same for the aeroplane engines. They can't produce the same amount of thrust when 
when the pressure is low. So okay. therefore, um, uh, basically, for the, the you can't go and extend the runway just because it's wet and the, there's a low pressure. Um, so the, the 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 ability to carry the amount of weight off that runway reduces when the runway is wet. There's a low pressure, or indeed if it's a high temperature. So. It's okay. All about cool. As I say, please forgive my ignorance. There, it was. Uh, I thought, no, I need to ask that question. I've probably done us done us out of a plain truth there, haven't I? But never mind. <laughs> John, well, actually, we can always do that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, John Je uh, John Jess has mentioned in the chat room. Actually, he says that the uh, the KLM E two one ninety s are practically silent. Are they? So yeah, I I, I don't. Is that because they're all parked up at Rotterdam? Right. Well, actually, there, there's a lot of these parked up. But me and Ned were just uh, talking the other day, weren't we? Ned, there's a lot of these parked up at Norwich Airport. BA's ones. Yes. Uh, the what the one nineties and that city. You're not there. being tempted to drive up then? Just borrow one at night. It would be. Well, they are literally <laughs> right next to the main road, Al. So you could probably yeah. just uh, hop over the fence and uh, have a go. As you do. As you do. As you do. I mean, I, I would try. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, take your camcorder with you and do a segment for the show, and then obviously, we can come and visit you on a regular basis from <laughs> yeah. your new abode, in your yeah, in your new home, three meals a day, I mean, in, in, your, your, it, in your new home at Her Majesty's pleasure. <laughs> I mean, it does it does solve the problem of where to hold the four hundredth episode, doesn't yes. it? There is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. visiting rights in in in. Yeah. Um, What's the one nearest us? Begins oh, with a God. W, doesn't it? Anyway, whichever prison it is. Well, there's plenty of specialist prisons in uh, Norfolk and Suffolk, aren't there? So, there are. Uh, Wayland, yeah. that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we go visit you in Wayland. That's where you'll end up, I have no doubt. No? No. No, okay, right. I'll do it with three square meals a day and soap three square meals a day and soap on a rope. There you go, you'll be happy, Carlos. And a PS five to boot. Anyway. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> I know. I've got a headache. Uh, moving on. So, uh, <laughs> moving on to uh, airships uh, with the next story. Pardon? This is from LiveScience.com. <laughs> is that ships with a P? Let's hope so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. <laughs> AINonline.com as well and FutureFlight.Aero. And uh, hybrid air vehicles, or HAVs, says it's hybrid electric Airlander 10 airship. You've got to get down is, with the youth uh, there, man. It's halves. It's halves. halves it's not HAVs. It's halves. <laughs> You've either got it or you haven't got it, okay? I could be, I could be really political and say HAVs. Uh, says it's hybrid. Oh, by the habits of a lifetime. Electric. <laughs> <laughs> it's electric airline. The turn airship is on track to be ready to carry up to a hundred passengers on regional airline services beginning in 2025. Uh, newly released cabin concepts show possible configurations ranging from a spacious ten-seat layout for luxury tours or on-demand urban air mobility services to high-density versions for scheduled city-to-city -city operations. It doesn't look a flying bum. Anyway, the UK-based company says... <laughs> Is this the one we saw the, crash? Yes, yeah, it was. Okay, yeah. The UK company says the aircraft will be able to support Ooh, airline hello. routes of... Uh, oh, God, that does look nice. ...of around uh, 230 nautical miles. However, with a top speed of around 75 knots, the Airlander 10 will be significantly slower than the conventional aircraft. My word, I'd rather... Going to assess the one fifty with a headwind. No. Nevertheless, uh, have believes or HAV believes it can be competitive by offering passengers the chance to completely bypass airports to fly directly from one downtown location to another, taking off from seafronts, docks, or any flat surface on land. In some cases, HAV says the airlander would generate seventy-five percent lower CO two emissions than uh, alternative means of transport. It could even result in lower carbon dioxide or CO two emissions. 
emissions per passenger than train services when they run on time. Hey, Matt. Uh, for example, 112 nautical miles flight. <laughs> I just listened to Matt's travel news. Yeah, moving morning. on. Yeah. 112 nautical mile flight from downtown Seattle to the centre of Vancouver in an airlander. 10 would take four hours and 12 minutes, generating 4.61 kilograms of CO2 per passenger, allowing for airport transfers, check-in, and security processes. The same trip via current airline services would take three hours six minutes but would result in co2 emissions of 53.15 kilos per passenger the liverpool to northern irish capital belfast is a possible route for which the airship would be significantly faster than ferries and not much slower than airline service according to research conducted by uk industry a uh, group a aerospace dispense and space around 47 percent of uh, regional airline flights are shorter than 200 nautical miles the company now expects to start a civil certification process later in the year and to have three aircraft engaged in test flights by 2023. And this has been in the mix for a while, this flying... Well, and I know, um, I think it's safe to say, because I think cause the, the, the first flight took place uh, in this area. In a field. Yeah. Ended up it, in the field. I, I don't think it went very well. But mm. I must say, I mean, I assume this is just a like a, an artist's impression of the interior. But... I, I personally find that a very appealing space. Uh, I'm trying to describe this. It's got what I can only describe as they look like very fancy and comfy office chairs. Um, with it's like uh, a parquet floor. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just uh, and and the lighting and everything and and so many windows. It's sort of very open and stuff. I mean, I really do. I mean, I, I would very much enjoy being in it's that space. It's missing a grand piano. Right, okay. Just at one um, end. Would that put them over the weight? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> it's, uh, weight and balance might I be don't an know. issue. I mean, um. Nev, does it, would this appeal to you as a way of getting about? Yes, but there's too many people uh, for my liking. Obviously, I, I, I prefer my own space, uh, so I'd have to be jammed in uh, one <laughs> corner. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind giving the uh, the Bosendorfer or, or, or whatever piano it is uh, a quick uh, quick tinker whilst I'm, whilst I'm there. Um, so, yeah. yes, I mean, well, there's lots of um, stuff, isn't there, at the moment? Lot, lots of concept things going yeah. on. So we'll have to see. But if it so, makes no, it I follow end. these things with, with great interest. But um, yeah, I, I think certification and you know all that business. There's, there's a lot to it. Because I mean, I mean, when you you know you put put aside the the other disaster, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll just say the the disaster that that happened. I mean, like airships and things in their time, they were. Um, you know, again, it was that same sort of thing, wasn't it? There's lots, lots of space, and you know, quite a cheap way of getting about, and all that kind of thing. It's just, uh, I don't know. As you say, mm. hopefully, uh, hopefully, it can uh, get off the ground. A couple, of, uh, a couple of wags in the chat room have suggested. Uh, uh, Arnie Carlson said, uh, "Take the Airlander to Arlander Airport." That's uh, the <laughs> very good uh, Stockholm. Very good. Uh, Dirk S says uh, Ryan Lander. <laughs> I like that. Well. Uh, so Tony S. I was going to say Tony S. has got a question for um, uh, uh, Captain Al. Uh, do you think these will fly in strong winds, Al? Um, well, it's an interesting one. I mean, as a concept, these things have been around well nearly a hundred years now, and. Um, was it, I don't know, 1936, 37, I think, the Hindenburg? Uh, obviously, a completely different sort of beast now, but I, I'm struggling to see... I mean, I know there's lots of good people behind this, and I'm struggling to see the, the commercial viability, but um, the strong wind question, well, uh, I mean, it, you know, it, it's a giant, you know, 
sack of wind, isn't it? So it's just going to get <laughs> blown around to, to hell in a gale. So um, will it fly in a strong wind? No, I doubt it really. Um, and obviously, if it's that strong a wind, if it can do 75 knots, it's going to go backwards. So, you know, you might you might book to do, you know, Liverpool to Belfast and find yourself in Nottingham. Right. So um, Nobody wants that. <laughs> well, well uh, there are some good things in Nottingham, but um, but you, you've got to consider the fact that, you know, you, you've. You've got to be a bit flexible with your travel plans, I suppose. So probably <laughs> yeah. ideal for the for the COVID times, you know. <laughs> but we'll leave when when we can, and yeah. we'll take you to where yeah. it ends up, and that will be maybe a bit like ballooning. Um, <laughs> yes, um, indeed. I mean, the the airship thing I, I, I quite like, and it has a little bit of a niche. And but you know, niches are, are rarely hugely successful as commercial projects. So yeah. Um, this one's been, you know, this particular sort of variant, if you like, has been knocking around for quite a while now with uh, quite a lot of money. So I, I'm, I'm struggling to see it being a goer, to be honest. I wish it was. I mean, it's mm. great, and I'd love to have a, have you know, a, a flight in it as a passenger, and yeah. you know, have a poke around with it, and you know, see what she can do, as it were. But um, probably not a lot in reality. But you know, put an input in, and a couple of years later, it does something. So. Um, but yeah, let, let's just see how this goes. But I, I wish them well, mm. um, but I won't be investing, so I'm out. Right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Dragon. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, Stephen Ivy is saying, but well, what? Uh, what about the gas? If Al uh, lets wind, uh, will it mess up the weight and balance? Is, is one of his concerns. Well, so. surely if I'm on board, it will just help them. It will. I mean, <laughs> get there in half the time. Yeah. yeah well, I get a bit of extra buoyancy. I mean, right. You know, I'm not, <laughs> Not too happy about the idea of having a tube at Majaxi to you okay, know okay. into the right, <coughs> right. So so we'll on. <laughs> okay. uh, right. The next story: uh, heroic airpiece air employees foil baby smuggling plot. Now Do we that... need to explain Jaxi to our international audience. Probably not. No, I think they'll, I okay. think they'll get the gist. I think we'll be all right. Uh, as I say, anyway, heroic airpiece employees foil baby smuggling plot. Uh, quick thinking airpiece employees have foiled a pair of baby smugglers about to board a flight to um uh to nigeria the incident involving two babies Asaba. Asaba. Uh, thank you very much Asaba. <laughs> in Nigeria. Uh, the incident involving two babies occurred at Nigeria's Lagos airport on Monday the 7th of June. Uh, Nigeria been in Africa, just in case it needs clarifying. <laughs> Thank you, probably. My geography is terrible, I do I do openly admit that. Uh, it is the third time in three years uh, alert airpiece employees have disrupted the air child trafficking trade. According to multiple Nigerian media reports, an adult male and female um, attempted to check in for a flight to, um, what, what was that place again? Asaba. Asaba, thank you, at lunchtime on Monday. Uh, with the two adults, uh, with the, the two adults were babies aged around three months. Stanley Oisla, uh, a spokesperson for Airpiece, said check-in staff asked about the infants and became suspicious. Uh, initially, the two passengers said that the infants belonged to them and that they were travelling to Asaba. Uh, the two adults uh, then gave conflicting explanations to different staff that the babies were being taken to the United Kingdom to unite them with their parents and later they uh, they said that they were sending the babies to Zimbabwe for adoption. As suspicions in, intensified, uh, Airpiece security staff 
intervened and brought in local police, according to Vanguard News. The passengers admitted to the police that they were trafficking the babies for adoption. This isn't the first time Airpeace has foiled baby smugglers. In June 2018, um, alert flight attendants uh, on a flight between Lagos and Banjul also um, became suspicious when a female passenger declined to breastfeed an unsettled three-month-old. Instead, she tried to give the little boy water. Uh, the female passenger was one of two adults travelling together. Uh, when the flight crew challenged the passengers, they claimed to be taking the baby to Banjul. Bang is it Bangul? Am I? Am I? Or Bang Bangul. Bangul. I was right first time. Sorry. Yes. Uh, under a surrogacy deal, dissatisfied, the flight crew notified uh, Bangul, and security personnel met the flight on arrival. On the ground, the passengers were separated and questioned. Both gave conflicting accounts of who the baby was and their relationship with it. Later, DNA testing proved no biological link. At the time, Airpiece applauded its flight crew for inter intervening so uh so uh, so airpiece is actually an airline then is that correct Correct. Yes. okay cool uh and well done on the cabin crew here yeah absolutely um, there, there is a lot of people smuggling that goes on around the world uh, much more than you would um probably imagine well, yeah th yeah this uh, the story is sort of taken me a little bit by surprise if 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 i'm brutally honest i i I guess, well, being naive, I guess. I mean, you should never be surprised by anything these days. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the cabin crew, certainly in, in the airlines that I've um, been associated with, um, do get training on, on spotting uh, people, traffickers. Um, and, you know, uh, absolutely hats off uh, to, the, to the crews at Airpiece for... Um, well, foiling these attempts to, to smuggle babies because, frankly, it's abhorrent that the very Agreed. concept of, um, you know, stealing someone's baby and then trying to sell it to someone else. So, uh, yeah, hats off to the Airpiece cabin crew. Well done. Absolutely. Mm. Indeed. I think that's all we need to say on that, isn't it, really? Nev, refunds. There aren't any. Mm. Oh. And I don't think there should be either, my own personal opinion. Okay, but interesting. But it does say that uh, the UK launches action against Ryanair and British Airways over refunds. Uh, Britain's uh, Competition Authority said on Wednesday it was launching enforcement action uh, against Ryanair and BA over their failure to offer refunds to passengers who were barred from taking flights under lockdown rules. Uh, during COVID-19 lockdowns across Britain, instead of offering uh, refunds to those legally unable to fly, IAG-owned British Airways offered vouchers or rebooking and Ryanair provided the option to rebook. Uh, the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, said that the airlines might have breached consumer law and it had opened enforcement cases against them. CMA's chief executive, uh, Andrea Coscelli, uh, said that the difficult environment for airlines did not mean consumers should be left uh, unfairly out of pocket for following the law. Ryanair said it welcomed the review of its policies and that it, it had paid refunds in justified cases after reviewing each case. BA said that it, it had acted lawfully at all times. It's incredible that the government is seeking to punish further an industry that is already on its knees after prohibiting airlines from meaningful flying for well over a year now, it said, uh, saying any action taken against the industry threatens to destabilise it. The CMA said that it had written to both airlines and was seeking a resolution that might include refunds or other forms of redress for affected customers.
uh, the watchdog's environment uh, action, uh, sorry, enforcement action could lead to court proceedings if a company persistently fails to comply with its directives. Well, um, all I've got to say about that is that um, the airlines need the cash in the business. Otherwise, there won't be any airlines. I don't know how many times we have to point that out to uh, the government and people like the CMA. Um, personally speaking, I've changed a BA flight probably five times now. I think the same flight. Uh, I've done it all online. And when I couldn't do that, I was phoning up uh, one of their um, fantastic people in the call center. Really easy process. Yes, I had to hang on for a while. I did not expect a refund, though, I must say. And, and I think... Uh, if you go into this situation expecting a refund, then I think you should be uh, prepared for disappointment. I think it's you... perfectly reasonable to rebook the flights. Uh, and in some cases, these can be 18 months or, or two years out. So I, mean, I, you... I think it's important for the, the airlines to keep the cash in the business right at this moment. Do you think the, 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 the reason why perhaps some people are after uh, refunds is about their nervousness in terms of something like say the airline going under or something like that i mean because it's like you you're willing to i i actually agree with you never because I'm, I'm thinking very much like along the lines if you planned to do this trip you're still going to want to do it when restrictions mm. are lifted and and want to go out of it i mean do you do you think perhaps people are are nervous because they'd rather have their money in their account for fear of it being lost by the airline in the well, event of collapse. Well, I, I or seem something. to remember um, some financial services uh, and places like the RBS and, and a number mm. of other banks that were right on on the brink at one point, and there was queues round the block. Uh, for people to, to to draw their money out. Yeah. Um, now, uh, this is a slightly different situation, but I think most uh, intelligent people will understand that the, the travel industry is absolutely on its knees at the moment and it cannot not afford to have another situation where they are paying out refunds left, right and centre. Now, there's obviously some, obviously some exceptional cases and, and they may need to be looked at, but I just cannot see how this is sustainable in any way at all. Agreed. Agreed. Any any comments, Al? Well, I mean, I think if any people are fearful that, um, you know, they'll lose their money uh, if an airline collapses, then as long as they've paid by credit card, and we're talking about the UK here, then the credit card company are going to refund you. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, quite clearly, I have a vested interest. So I would say that unless the circumstances are exceptional, as Nev said, please do leave your money um, w with the airline because um frankly um if an airline collapses as a taxpayer you're going to be paying for it anyway so True. yeah um so you know um the, the 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 concept of um you know pulling your money out for fear of losing it you know it's it could be potentially a self-fulfilling prophecy and it'll just end up you know having a a, a snowballing effect so mm. um you know that there is no doubt that the the aviation industry especially and there are certain other aspects of the travel industry in the uk are on their knees it, it's not you yeah. know crying wolf this is this is serious stuff. stuff yeah and um you know if if people are in a financial position to to to, to leave their money in the business and to do their bit then you know i have no doubt that in in other ways the airlines will reward them for their loyalty yeah well said. So, Al, you've got the uh, the next story about uh, a, a seven six. Yes, indeed. This comes from Flight Global, and it's a poor poising and bounce landing 
badly damages an Atlas Air 767. US investigators have determined that improper flare technique uh, led to a porpoised and bounce landing at Portsmouth, New Hampshire. That's in the United States. Badly damaging an Atlas uh, Boeing 767-300ER. The aircraft had been arriving on a charter service from Frankfurt Secondary Airport, Hahn Airport, and it was transporting 240 passengers with a crew of 10 on the 27th of July 2018. The approach to runway 34 at the Joint Civil Military Peace Airport was conducted before sunrise, however, visual weather conditions prevailed. Its first officer, the flying pilot, was performing his first operational evaluation under line check, and he'd logged 16 hours on type out of a total of 2,465. As the first officer initiated the landing flare, the 767 became slightly high on the approach, and according to the carrier, the aircraft touched down with limited flare and its engines at nearly 50% of N1, which prevented the speed brakes from deploying. The flight data recorder showed that the aircraft porpoised five times while traveling along, along the runway. The inquiry says the aircraft bounced with maximum impacts reaching about 2G, and there was a lack of appropriate bounce landing recovery procedure. As a result of the event, the aircraft's forward fuselage crown was visibly wrinkled, that's bad, with dents and creases in the skin, that's bad. It also sustained fractures and buckling to several frames and stringers, that's really bad, as well as deformation to the nose wheel bay, that's fairly bad. <laughs> None of the passengers or crew were injured, but the inquiry says that the jet, we'll call that an aircraft, please, because the jet is just part of the engine, was substantially <laughs> damaged. Okay, so Matt, what do you think porpoising is? Oh, I didn't realise there was going to be a quiz. Sorry, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a torn form of wild animal, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah. So what do porpoises do? They go up and down, don't they? Yes, they sort indeed. Of like... yeah, so yeah. if you imagine a porpoise or a dolphin, so that's basically what this aircraft was doing, sort of going bouncing down the, the runway. Run. Right, okay. Yeah. Wow, so literally what, what... bouncing. Yeah, so, so what can happen is that you can get out of sync with what's happening to the aeroplane. It's called pilot-induced oscillation. So all you end up doing is making the the oscillations worse, if you like. And funnily enough, each time that the aeroplane crashes down onto the runway, it bounces back up into the sky and uh, it sustains a bit of damage along the way. And if you keep doing that, uh, I think it says uh, five times or whatever, then um, then it's going to get quite damaged. So the Eventually normal procedure... Fall off. <laughs> I was gonna, actually, I was going to say, Al, what is, the, uh, what is the appropriate bounced landing recovery? Procedure. Okay, so if you bounce uh, a, a, a large transport aircraft, the appropriate procedure is to go around because whatever you do other than that is just going to make things worse. So if you bounce, full power and fly the aeroplane away, have a chat about it and then have another go. So we, we see here in the dialogue uh, that this was a first officer under training and he was basically doing his first real landing if you like on the aeroplane um, with passengers so 
you may well have done training on an empty aeroplane, um, but obviously a, a loaded aeroplane uh, will be heavier. So uh, the, 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 whilst the technique remains the same, some of the, uh, the thought that goes into it is, is slightly modified. So heavy aeroplanes perform slightly different to light aeroplanes. Obviously, the heavier the aeroplane, the more momentum it has and also the greater inertia. Um, but I'm afraid it's not the first officer's fault. This this all has to rest on the shoulders of the line check captain because he's the one who signed for it, and he's the one who's been, you know, given the extra bucks to do the training. And um, I'm afraid he had his finger up his jacksy at this particular point. And um, uh, you know, when it bounced for the first time, that should have been it. It should have been full Take power charge. and yeah. out of there. I, I was, was going to uh, say, actually, Al, because this is the thing. I mean, as as an inexperienced person, I mean, you know, we know I'm a nervous flyer anyway. Um, and, and this is the thing. It was just like as you say, like as a first officer doing this, I, my gut reaction, having done, all right, not aviation training, but I've done other forms of, of training, training when it comes to vehicles and things like that, the... the if something doesn't quite go wrong, what you go right, what you'd normally do, you wouldn't like say keep having a go. You would sort of stop and try again, if you like, which I guess is what what we're referring to here in terms of your go around. You know, you sort of like it bounces on the runway. So his instructions. I mean, you know, we weren't there, so there may have been, you know, reasons perhaps why they, this this course of action was chosen. But as you say, I I I, I do feel that um, you know it's not all on the first officer, as you say this. I would, um, yeah, I mean, I'm always, you know, sort of at the risk of being criticised. I wasn't there. I don't know all the circumstances. So all that as a, as a caveat. And obviously, I'm not rated on the 767, so I speak generically here. Um, but I would lay at least 90% of the blame on the captain for this. Um, uh, because you, you as a training captain, you are programmed to expect things to go wrong Mm. and to deal with it quickly okay Indeed. that's that's your job okay yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not you're not supposed to be sat there fat dumb and happy and <laughs> expecting you know that the guy on the other seat to, to nail it yeah it's his first you flight. are primed yeah. yeah you are primed for it to go wrong that's your job yeah um so as soon as it starts to go wrong you have to do something yeah. can't put it any simpler than that nev and, what was your um, question i was going to ask al i mean th this um, again, we weren't there, so we're just reading the uh, the, the praise here. The report, bit, but, yeah. um, uh, it seems to have landed with a lot of energy, and with the engines at nearly fifty percent N one, that is going like the clappers. Really, I don't know what the airspeed or final landing speed was, but it would seem that the captain should have had a bit of notice uh, about advance, that b yeah. because of the, the lack of flare. Yeah, I mean, the the landing of any um, passenger transport aircraft, cargo transport aircraft, is obviously one of the most critical phases um, of flight, okay? And even as just as a regular line shag, not as a training captain, you were sat there basically monitoring what the other guy does. And it's the same vice versa to a, to a lesser extent. You know, as a, as a first officer or as a co-pilot, call them whatever you will, you know, when the other guy is, is, is polling the aircraft around, you have to be prepared to, you know, intervene if necessary. Now, that obviously doesn't happen too often from a first officer to a captain. Not because four stripes makes you God, but typically four stripes means that you've got a little bit more experience 
um, and know-how. And, and that's the key here, isn't it, really? It, 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 you know, as you say, the first officer should, you know, all right, he made a mistake and that, that's obviously disappointing for everybody who was involved in their training. But as you say, at the end of the day, this is the first time that they'd done that. It clearly states that in the report. It's the first time yep. they'd done that with passengers there for a full load and, you know, obviously cases and, and passengers and, uh, and all that kind of thing. But um, So one of the factors here... Um, and I can spring this out long enough so that we don't have to do the military, oh. obviously, <laughs> is, um, is, a, is a phenomenon that uh, we see quite often, um, which is, because uh, this happened uh, before sunrise, so um, we can call that dawn or, or night, whichever way you want to do it, but um, in the hours of darkness or semi-darkness. Um, and it's a night rush, and that is as you're coming into land... Um, if you're inexperienced, you will feel that you're going very, very fast because the, the runway lights are sort of coming at you quite yeah. quickly. And there is a natural tendency to want to kind of pull away from that. So this to me is exactly uh, what I see. So, you know, the, the, the aircraft became slightly high on the approach. And we don't know at what point this is talking about. Um, but night rush is a really well-known phenomena where you just get this sort of like nervy sensation that you're, you know, driving yourself towards the ground at high speed. And I mean, to be fair, you're going quite quickly. You know, you're doing, you know, 150 miles an hour. So it's, it's pretty quick. And, uh, you know, when lights are coming rushing towards you. So you do get that sensation of real speed. So that to me is a, another one of those, you know, little, you know, mental preparations for, you know, Milado sat in the in the left hand seat yeah. there, uh, you know, take your finger out your jacksey and be prepared for this <laughs> because the young lad in the right seat, you know, he, he's yeah. potentially going to be um, well crapping himself for this. Yes, so, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, so you've got to be prepared for that, and um, so as I've said that this what what. The first officer has done is what I would be expecting any first officer to do on their first few landings on the aeroplane. I mean, bear in mind here that they, they've they've flown, you know, from Frankfurt to somewhere yeah. in the United States. So this isn't a 20 minute jolly. So, you know, they're, they're going to be at the low ebb of their, you know, um, arousal curve. You know, they're going to be a little bit tired. I don't mm -hmm. know how many other pilots were on the flight. It doesn't say. But, you know. Uh, when you're when you're a bit tired, um, and by virtue of you know how this has worked out, if they've arrived you know dawn, they've certainly not been flying at the nicest time of the day or night. So um, it, you know you have to make allowances mm. for for you know the guy on the right. You you with the four stripes, you know you, you've got to uh, to man up a bit here. Yeah. And okay. So you, you weren't smart enough to realise it was going wrong when it was going wrong, but as soon as it went wrong, do something about yeah. it. Don't just let the aeroplane smack itself into the ground repeatedly until something gives up. No, indeed. Uh, and uh, uh, Dirk S is actually uh, uh, offering a couple of bits of uh, information here, saying that the, this hard landing went wrong uh, long before touchdown. I think, which uh, I think is, uh, I think that's fair comment, isn't it? Really. Uh, and then um, John uh, John Jester is saying that uh, uh, trying to uh, cushion the blow, uh, they worry about uh, tail strikes a lot in, in the seven six seven dash. 
300 um mm. and uh yes uh, dirk is enjoying listening to your live opinions by the way al <laughs> okay well that, that, that's nice to hear thank you Dirk. indeed not everybody does <laughs> well we do very much so uh so but nev, we better move on yes nev uh, we're, we're moving on to uh, uh branson and your favorite chap uh, bezos Yes. Uh, now, this is on the uh, Ars Technica website. Not Ars Technica, as our uh, producer has put in the uh, <laughs> show notes. Just a point of order there. Um, however, it does say that Amazon founder Jeff Bezos said on Monday he, along with his brother Mark and an auction winner, would fly on the first human space. Did you space know flight. that Ars Technica is Latin for the art of technology? I did know that. But Ars Technica... Is that because is, you're reading the same notes as me? It's, some, it's something entirely different, which we can't go into before the watershed. Um, For goodness but, sake. Are we on uh, time? <laughs> no, no okay, we're not. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah the, the, we were supposed to be at this point, uh, like, before 8 o'clock. Uh, but anyway... I, I've not noticed. Is, is Jonathan Warner in the chat? He is, yes, he, he is. is, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> He's horrified. <laughs> anyway, Nev, do please... Carry on, Nev. Yes. <laughs> well, these three are going to fly on the first human spa uh, space flight of his company's new Shepard spacecraft. This mission is going to launch from uh, Blue Origins Spaceport in West Texas on July the 20th which is the anniversary of the Apollo 11 lunar landing in 1969. Uh, with this timeline, Bezos Were seems they almost... to offer a cheaper deal than NASA at Kennedy or something? Then <laughs> you know, like, is it, do you just put it out to tender? Well, we won't want to put something into space. So, you know, if you've got a spaceport near you, let us know. It, perhaps it's one of those uh, Amazon uh, special deals. Been, uh, <laughs> oh, no. well, a lightning offer that if right. don't, don't subscribe now, tough, you'll never see it again. Mm. <laughs> okay. Interesting. It's not going to work, Al, by the way. It, whatever happens, we are. Oh, getting... trust me, I can make it work. Oh, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Carry um, on, Nev. I'm the, sorry, I'll keep no, quiet no, for no. a while. No, not, not at all. Um, but with this timeline, Bezos seems almost certain to beat his suborbital space tourism rival, Sir Richard Branson, into space. Setting aside whether uh, Branson's VSS Unity vehicle reaches space, its maximum altitude is just below the Kármán line, or 100 kilometres, this is nonetheless a meaningful milestone. Uh, both uh, Bezos and uh, Branson have been investing in the space industry for about two decades and men, both men have made clear they intend to fly on their own spacecraft as soon as practically possible. For Branson, that flight was expected to come during the second half of this year. As recently as one week ago, Branson's Virgin Galactic told Ars Technica that the uh, company's plan next called for a test flight with four employees in the passenger cabin. That said, she added, uh, this will be followed by a flight carrying Branson. However, the Bezos space flight scheduled for July the 20th may have scrambled those plans. According to a report by Doug Messier... Sure, stopped Branson going on the first flight. Well, uh, he has got a bit of previous, hasn't he? Uh, <laughs> with space travel and high altitude business. So, yes, um, 
what was that company? It was someone like Keyman Insurance, wasn't it, back in yes. the day, where you know if you had someone really important as part of the company, you had to take out special insurance. But uh, uh, well, we'll see. I wonder what his premiums are for, for this. Um, but uh, according to a report by Doug Messier on his speaking about par- Keyman, Jonathan Warner had a bet with me earlier as to whether we'd actually make it to the military or not. <laughs> well, I can confirm we are not going to uh, unless we overrun by. An hour, yes, uh, <laughs> which is definitely on the cards. On, <laughs> oh. uh, but it says that Virgin Galactic is working on a plan to send Branson on a suborbital flight above, uh, sorry, aboard the VSS Unity Spaceship Two rocket uh, over the Fourth uh, of July holiday weekend. That would beat Bezos by a couple of weeks. It is plausible that if the uh, May twenty twenty second flight went well, no, that's. Um, that's not right, is it? That must be the June twenty-second flight went well. Um, oh, sorry, but it, did, May, it did. It actually took place. Yeah, that's it, right. Uh, it was. Sorry, it was last month, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So uh, when uh, that flight seems to have gone well on May the twenty-second. Well, there was nothing in the Daily Mail about it. So. Uh, no, that's <laughs> that must true. Have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the VSS Unity spacecraft and its carrier aircraft could be ready to fly again by early July. However, Messier notes, to fly Branson, Virgin Galactic must also obtain a commercial reusable spacecraft operator's licence from the Federal Aviation Administration. Now, um, from what I've heard, you don't want to be in a rush with the FAA, so (laughs) getting stuff out the door quickly... Started it last year. ...is is a bit of a non-starter, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, especially, well, again, it's just all... It's all these new things and this type rating and stuff like that. It's, mm. uh, I mean, it's definitely an interesting project. I mean, and I know loads of people, you know, and because as you say, like using Branson as an example, obviously, I mean, you know, rather rather enjoys being the first to do these things, as you say. But I wouldn't fancy being an insurance company. Um, mm-hmm. I, in fact, I dare say some of these things take place uninsured, don't they? Unlimited so, mileage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, indeed. I, well, I have no doubt, but um, I. I probably suspect that there will be people within the various organizations who are going to say look you know um from a commercial point of view if you sit yourself on on the first of these and it goes spectacularly wrong it doesn't matter whether you survive it or not the business might not survive afterwards <laughs> so <laughs> um yes so yeah i mean there are lots of uh, commercial pressures and, and i mean to be honest, most things are insurable, but it just depends on how much money you want to pay, doesn't yeah. it, for that premium? So, uh, should we go around the table? I mean, Nev, do you fancy going into space? Uh, definitely not. No, that's not my thing at all. Okay. Uh, Matt? <laughs> you already know the answer to that question. You don't need to ask. Yeah, you can't get me on an ordinary aeroplane. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we'll throw in a little sc- space skydive as well, mm. shall we? That'll help. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Carlos? Would you would you um, go on one of these these missions? In about forty years' time, yeah, yeah. In about no, I'm talking about well, yeah. I mean, July. We're talking July. So you know, if if by per chance, you know, I got you a slot in July, would you do it? <laughs> do you know what? For the sake of the show, I would do it. Right. Well, yeah. But what you, a man! If you think that's going to work on me, you've got another I would thing take coming. The, I would take. I would take Nev's all singing and dancing camera. No, you I'd wouldn't. I'd take the no. Tascam, <laughs> and I would. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. What did what did Nev's camera do wrong? Honestly, <laughs> what did Nev do wrong? <laughs> suitable for operating in weightless environments. Either. Uh, so, well, no, quite yeah. absolutely. Although there's no tapes anymore, so it's less That's of an true. issue than it used to be. Uh, quite. Anyway. So last story. Uh, in the commercial. Oh, we're news moving on then, are we? Yes, okay, we are. fair enough. Last story in the commercial news segment this week is. Uh, He's definitely up to something from yeah. DunnoBroadcast.co.uk, and uh, well, it's it's Ted's hundredth birthday. Good old Ted. I don't know who Ted is, but anyway, he's uh, celebrating uh, a lifetime in aviation. A hundred-year-old pilot from Stansted was treated to a Boeing seven three seven flight sim experience for his birthday. Ted Barrett, who was born on May the 21st, 1921, when flight only just started to happen, began his career in the cadets before becoming a Royal Air Force engineer in World War II. To thank Ted for a lifetime of service in both military and civil aviation, Andrewsfield Flying Club near Great Salling arranged a Boeing 737 simulator experience under the guidance of Club Director Mike Rowland. Mike said uh, Ted had been an inspiration. He comes up from uh, uh, up to Andrewsfield often, so he's a well-known and well-respected character in aviation. Uh, Ted repaired Wellington bombers in India during oh, wow. World War II. Uh, he later trained as a pilot with the Royal Air Force in Cambridge using the Tiger Moth and Oxford aircraft. When the Royal Air Force Reserve Group was disbanded in 1953, he gained his civil, uh, civil pilot license uh, to continue flying. He was due to fly a real-life 1930s Tiger Moth on his birthday, but 40-mile-an-hour gusts grounded Ted and his team. Yeah, and sorry s- about that, Ted. Couldn't be helped. <laughs> Instead, he <laughs> flew a virtual Boeing 737 out of Stansted Airport using a, a simulator at Andrewsfield Aerodrome. Oh, I might have to take a trip there myself. Have a go. Oh, it's uh, a cracking place. Uh, I have to say that uh, Andrewsfield Flying Club has been around for quite a long period of time. And it is a proper club, and they uh, have a really nice setting there. And I don't know if she's still working, but there's a lady there, an instructor called Carol Cooper, if I remember rightly. And she's got gazillions of instructing hours. She's been um, probably one of the uh, the country's uh, leading uh, flying instructors for, for years and years. So, uh, yeah, great place. And do pop in. Uh, they'll give you a warm welcome. They have nice chips. So uh, the story goes on the plane. Uh, it says here the Tiger Moth uh, biplane registration Golf Alpha Oscar Echo India is owned by Cambridge Flying Club, where Ted is an honorary member. It is one of the new uh, few Tiger Moths still operating, which saw active service in World War Two. The 1930s plane was part of a communication squadron in France, completing uh, expeditions on the continent ahead of Operation Dynamo in Dunkirk in 1940. Ted's flight in the aircraft will be fitting, they said, uh, an Andrewsville Flying Club spokesperson, and two World War II veterans will be reunited. So there we go. A nice story to finish the Fantastic. I this love week. that. Yeah, I do, actually. A hundred year old. I wonder how we got on the sim. With the I, I th- I'd love some video footage of it. That mm. would be amazing, wouldn't it? Because I, I bet he absolutely Carlos. nailed it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Probably did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. Yes, okay. Uh, let's move. Um, but- 
I'm gonna... There, folks, ended a beautiful friendship. I was gonna, I was gonna say, eyes. I was gonna say, I was, I was gonna go into sim tomorrow, but I can't. I'm doing a radio show. Anyway. You are, yes. Anyway, um, yeah. So we have uh, got. Go, go on, guys. Just plug the show one more time. No, let's no, not. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Give no, us the whole no, no. URL, the, 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 <laughs> the hours that you're on. Tell us what you're going to be playing. Parkradio.co.uk forward slash player. But anyway, uh, right. So uh, we we have a very lovely uh, video from we do. Armando here, don't we? Yes, we do. So we've got a video from Armando. So this continues on uh, from last week. Uh, if you're watching last week, you may have saw that Armando talking to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ivan Deroche of the 403rd Wing, 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron about active storm reconnaissance <laughs> or hurricane hunting in the WC-130J. So if you're ready, Matt, hit the button. The WC. All right, guys. I'm here with Lieutenant Colonel Ivan Deroche, right? Yes. Uh, sir, what... What outfit are you part of? I'm part of the 403rd Wing, 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron, Keesler Air Force Base, Mississippi. Most people know us as the world famous hurricane hunter. I was, I was kind of joking with him saying he walks around with a bow and arrow just hunting hurricanes, yeah. right? Is that, now, there's, there can't be that many units that do hurricane hunting, right? Well, there's only one military unit. There yeah. used to be more squadrons when active duty shared the mission, but in 1993 it became an all Air Force Reserve mission. Okay. And then NOAA has their hurricane hunters. Uh, they do atmospheric research worldwide, year-round, and they also go into hurricanes in their two P3s mm -hmm. for some research. But our main job is the active reconnaissance of storms that threaten the U.S. Okay, so that so that's the big difference between the P3 and the C-130 is you guys are getting real-time data or near real-time data near real time. from yeah. the storm. Yeah, everything that we collect uh, goes out on an average about every 10 minutes to the National Hurricane okay. Center. So it's fresh when it gets there. Yeah. Um, now tell us a little bit. You, so you have the the MC one thirty or this is a C one thirty WC one thirty WC one thirty J. So what makes it different than any other C one thirty J is we retain the navigator because uh -huh. uh, we fly in bad weather. A guy primarily on the radar for safety of flights, big deal. And then uh, we put some weather equipment in the back. A couple smart dudes that know how to use that stuff, and it turns into a WC one thirty instead of a C one thirty. The weather pallets can be, yeah. the plane can be deconfigured in uh, about six to eight hours. Everything okay. can roll off, and then it's a standard C-130J ready for whatever cargo missions out there. Okay. Now, how long have you guys been flying the J model for? So they uh, showed up at Keesler in 1998, and that's began the oh. test of the J model program. And we started flying, I think it was 99 was the first test for the Hurricane. Okay, so it's been a while. Huh? And then uh, we went full up conversion from the H to the J when Katrina hit us in 2005. We were kind of using both planes for yeah. a, at that time, and then after Keesler got wiped out, and we just said, that's it, H models are gone, it's a J model game. Wow. So did, did you notice a pretty big, big, big difference going from the H to the J model? There is Especially a big difference. Uh, well, we don't have the flight engineer anymore. Mm -hmm. In the legacy airplane, it was all steam gauges and dials. A lot of stuff to monitor. You know, the flight engineer was focused on systems. Well, all that's maintained by the uh, mission computers now, and yeah. you get the ACOS warning systems like most modern airplanes. So the flight engineer's gone. We did retain the navigator for safety of flight and storms. Yeah. And then uh, the performance is totally different. Uh, there's, uh, engines are more powerful, of course. They're new, more modern. The, you know, the propeller uh, design changed from the old four-blade Hamilton standard mm -hmm. to the carbon fiber propeller, so they're much more efficient. And then the engines, obviously, more uh, more efficient and more powerful. So our cruise speed's about about 30 knots faster, but the big difference is the fuel flow. We're getting at it about 1,500 pounds an hour less. Okay. 
So that's significant. So what's a typical either range or time frame that you're finding when you're doing a... So if we're going for endurance, going to hang out and fly as long as we can somewhere, you can get a little over 14 hours oh, uh, wow. with the externals. And uh, our typical hurricane mission is somewhere around 11, give or take hours. Okay. You know, it's, it's very common to see 12, 12 and a half. We uh, show two hours before. We brief. We do all our stuff, figure out where we're going, what we're doing. And then uh, our in route time plus our five to six hours loitering in the hurricane and back, wow. you know, it'll be a you know a twelve hour mission. So is that pretty pretty fatiguing? You're, so you're doing five six hours inside the storm. What is what's that like flying a C one thirty inside the storm? <laughs> <laughs> That's the tough part to explain, you know, because it's like all right, aviation guys, yeah. continuous light, occasional moderate, and occasion holy crap, <laughs> you know. Uh, um, so. It's obviously a lot of rain. Yeah. We do it at we do uh, we hurricane flights are done at ten thousand feet pressure, so it's their low pressure systems. The stronger they are, yeah. the deeper the pressure. So, on the radar altimeter, our absolute altitude in a Cat Five hurricane will be like sixty five hundred feet, even though the pressure altimeter is still saying ten. Goodness. But you know that we fly standard weather altitudes. Ninety nine hundred happens to be one. Yeah. And we we hang out at ten because when we release the weather instruments through them. You know the weatherman in the back wants it to fall through that standard altitude, so we stay 100 feet above. So do you notice a? Is there a pretty significant difference between, say, a Cat three or a Cat five flying a hurricane, or is or is a hurricane a hurricane and each one's got its own? They all got their own name and their own personality. Yeah. So uh, the things that really affect turbulence is any interaction with terrain. So when we're in the Caribbean. And, you know, we're at 10,000 feet pressure, but if you're flying something that's near Haiti where the mountains are 9,000 feet, you know, you get a lot of mechanical mountain wave type turbulence uh -huh. as a result of that. Uh, those are the things when you're downwind of the mountains, you really need to think about that because it will beat you up just like mountain wave turbulence and it can damage the plane. But typically, typically, it's sustained light for five to six hours some moderate you know the eye wall area the last 30 miles on your run in and your first 30 miles getting out of the eye that's the most intense thunderstorms it's the eye wall structure everybody's familiar yeah. with that and that's the bumpiest well we're only in it for 10 minutes we're doing three miles a minute 180 knots indicated yeah. when we're flying the storm that's our rough airspeed and uh so 10 minutes of the moderate to occasional severe in the eye is clear you look up you'll see blue skies during the day you see like stars movie, huh? at night yeah yep and then uh, back in it for another thick 10 minutes. Yeah. And then after that, it just depends on the banding of the storm and how physically large they are. Yeah. Uh, some hurricanes, you know, the average hurricane, uh, we fly 105 miles from our run-in into the center and then 105 miles outbound yeah. on the intercardinal heading. So we'll start northeast, go to southwest. We always make a left turn and take the tailwind to the other corner and come back and do it again. So we'll yeah. do that four to five times in our mission profile. We're back in the center every hour and 30, 40 minutes, yeah. depending on how much tailwind you get on that crosswind leg. And um, most hurricanes, the hurricane force winds will go out maybe 50, 60, 70 miles. Okay. And then, you know, the TS winds drop off from there. Occasionally you get a storm like Hurricane Katrina, massive. The hurricane force winds went out 125 miles tropical storm winds went out 175 miles yeah. so all of our standard hey how we treat a storm and we fly it all that had to change so from a mission planning standpoint are you getting that from satellite data or you're literally just high-fiving with the crew before you to 
the best intel is the guys that are just getting out of mm. it, you know, the data from the last storm. So a typical profile, the Hurricane Hunter uh, aircraft are running six hours in the storm, six hours off, and six hours in the storm until it gets within 300 miles of U.S. coastline. And then the Hurricane Center wants us in there all the time. So okay. we'll fly six hours, and we're getting out, and the next guy's coming right in behind us. So until it makes landfall or turns away and it's no longer a threat, we're always in it within, when it's within 300 miles of the U.S. coast. Yeah. And you guys have a weather officer on board, correct? Right. So the weather officer is an Air Force meteorologist by trade, and then they come to us, and uh, there's no school for it. You know, so our <laughs> squadron is the schoolhouse yeah. for the hurricane hunting. So whatever your crew position is, whatever mission training you need, it happens in-house. Yeah. And uh, weather officers are the tough ones because, you know, uh, pilots, you send them to Little Rock to go to, through C-130J yeah. school, and then they just come to Keesler and learn a little, about, little bit about risk mitigation and flying through bad weather, <laughs> and you get some on-the-job training in the hurricane, and then you're good. Well, the weather guy, it's totally different for them. You know, they're, uh, they're learning in the hurricane environment because all the MET systems are usually a weather station somewhere yeah. on the ground, where now you're in this moving thing, shaking, trying to take readings on screens that are, you know, yeah. vibrating and bouncing. So their job's different. I love that you just said that the pilots come in, they learn how to fly in a hurricane. A couple weeks, they're good, you know? Yeah, That's awesome. yeah literally, <laughs> literally, you know, most of the pilots, uh, when they, they, about 90 days for mission yeah. training, you know, and literally that's just a couple weeks. Well, yeah. and, and uh, Colonel Ragusa was talking about, you know, there's no other replacement. There's no sim for flying how to, through no. a hurricane, right? No, like, there's not. You just got to get in there and, and do it, right? And the biggest thing is, you know, most pilots, you know, they, they pay attention to the radar to avoid weather. Mm -hmm. Well, we're paying attention to the radar with the nav to figure the softest spot to penetrate the weather the whole six hours. You yeah. know? Most people is like, oh, I might have to cross a line, find the soft spot, or I might turn around and go the other way, deviate and go yeah. around it. Well, that doesn't work for us. Yeah. You know? That's that's amazing. So, and, and you guys are probably flying with a relief. So a relief, a relief pilot, also, right? We do our best. That's one yeah. of our that's one of our risk mitigators. Yeah. As we try to take a third pilot, so you can rotate through the seats yeah. and get some rest. But I mean, Air Force rules: we can have two pilots on a 16-hour crew day. Yeah. And as long as both autopilots standard are mobility rules. Yeah, standard mobility rules. So, yep. so you brought in uh, some of the risk management. What are some of the risks, uh, either through mission planning? What what are the, those real risks that are you know to the crew to the airplane when you're flying in a storm? Okay, uh, well, lightning's a big one. We do okay. get struck by lightning on occasion. The toughest part about lightning is uh, seeing a signature on a radar. You don't have one. Yeah. You know. A lot of the eyeballs are used. Tough to see it in the day when you're IMC all the time. Nighttime, when you're making a run in on an active eye wall, it's just, it's like strobe lights. It's just yeah. lightening up. You just know it's there. Lightning's a big one. The eye wall structure itself, you're going to have to ask one of the weather scientists, but, you know, there's vortices inside the eye wall similar to a small yeah. tornado, and they present as a hook echo. So, obviously, you know, we're paying particular attention to make sure we avoid anything like that. Uh, and when a storm is dying, it's, it's some of its uh, most turbulent features in the eye wall, especially when it's getting filled in with dry air. The weather guys call it dry air entrainment when dry air is coming in and killing the hurricane. Yeah. That's when it's some of its uh, most turbulent times in the eye wall is when it's dying like that. That's amazing. Yeah. 
inside we were, we were taking the tour and it looks surprisingly like any other C-130, like a slick C-130 except for those two stations up front. It's exactly like yeah. every other C-130J except those roll-on stations. Yeah. They bolt to the floor and you hook up the cable into the junction boxes on the side of the airplane and now it's a WC. And he does, and the loadmaster does get to shoot up. He does. Shoot so, a cannon, right? So they go through <laughs> the loadmaster training like any other uh, C-130 loadmaster. Yeah. And then uh, we do in-house training. They get trained to basically a basic op weather observer yeah. level. And uh, they drop the drops on, so they need yeah. to understand the weather code and whether or not it's good data that's coming back to the aircraft and, yeah. and how to QC it and uh, eliminate something that's really an erroneous data from the data stream. That's great. So if somebody wanted to get involved, so you said it's, it's essentially a reserve it's, it's a reserve all unit, reserve, right? Air Force Reserve. Yeah. So, if somebody wanted to get involved, would they? Well, first of all, where would they go to find that? Probably just Google Air Force Reserve Hurricane Hunter. Air Force right? Reserve. See, so we're military, so yeah. you're going to have to deal with recruiters. Yeah. If you're coming in off the street, you're dealing with recruiters. If you're in the Air Force, then there's way to ways to be gained by uh -huh. another Air Force Reserve unit, whether you're transferring from active duty or guard or reserve. You know, guys inside don't yeah. know how to get to your unit. But outside, you're dealing with a recruiter. And because we're a small, special mission, yeah. uh, we also interview. I mean, people need to understand what they're getting into. I mean, it's not a job for everybody. Well, I mean, off the top of my head, it's, it's the only two special mission C-130 units I can really think of is you guys and the, the guys out of New York with the skis, right? Like, well, yeah, well, there's actually yeah. a couple more. There's guys that fly the firefighting missions, the Colorado Springs Air Force Reserve C-130s. Okay. They're a special mission. They do mass, the uh, aerial firefighting. And the guys up in Youngstown, another Air Force Reserve unit, do the aerial spray yeah. for uh, spray, like when they had the oil spill, spraying the things to yeah. dissolve the oil and stuff in the Gulf. They do aerial spray missions. So those are also Air Force Reserve special missions. And that, that's exactly what, why we do this sort of podcast is, um, you know, I, I think every month I discover this this new niche, this new corner of aviation where you go, man, that would be so cool to do that, huh? Yeah, this is definitely different. Yeah. You know, the... Did Colonel Ragusa tell you how it started? No. Okay. So in 1944, uh, U.S. Army Air Corps guys are training Brits how to fly. You know, they're doing their basic pilot training during World War II down in South Texas. And there was a hurricane out in the Gulf. And the Brit pilot told Joe Duckworth, the Army Air Corps pilot, hey, I bet you can't fly that little T-6 Texan into that hurricane out there. And Joe Duckworth said, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> and that's how Hurricane Hunt was born. He and his navigator went out. They flew through the hurricane. They got into the middle of it. And they came back and they told the base weather guy about it. And he's like, no kidding, really? And they took the weather guy oh, for goodness. a ride. A little T-6 Texan, you know, a single-engine trainer. Yeah. And uh, they came back, and that's the birth of hurricane hunting. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I I'll tell you what. We, we always finish uh, each interview with one question, and that is, if money was no object, okay, and you could fly any airplane in the world, past or present or future, what would that airplane be? You know, when I was a kid, it was always the Blackbird. You had to watch yeah. SR-71. It was really cool, you know. And uh, I think that'd probably be the one. Yeah. I don't know. P-51 Mustang's pretty cool that would too. Be pretty cool. nostalgic. Yeah, there's a couple around here in uh, in the Charlotte area, P-51s, and every time, you know, I'm trying to hand my card over there, see if I can get it. SR-71 Blackbird, yeah, you know, amazing cool. choice. And I, I know there was just recently some articles about F-117s coming back and they're still using them, so maybe they're still a shot. Maybe a shot, who yeah. knows? Awesome, sir. Yeah. I appreciate the time. Oh, Thank you, you so much. Anytime.
Well, uh, welcome to our London studios. Uh, welcome to the A320 Lounge uh, webinar uh, tech presentation, um, obviously for the 320 series. Welcome to the A320 and 737 Lounge, bringing technical refresher courses directly to you. Using our cutting-edge broadcasting facilities, enjoy a fully interactive technical refresher course from the comfort of your own home. All of our webinars are live and you can ask your instructor a question at any point during the day. All of our instructors are highly experienced and can help you. No more expensive nights away from home, no new software required, just an internet connection. Courses are run at regular intervals, so check out A320 Lounge and 737lounge.com for more details. Thank you, Armando. Great part. It was great to see those again, actually, wasn't it? Great to see them. Yeah, I'm just glad we don't have that kind of um, heavy sort of storms over in the UK. Yeah. I mean, the, the most we muster here is a bit of a rough thunderstorm and a, the odd clap of thunder and a few here claps and there, of thunder. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, no, yeah. Nothing that uh, sort of needs a, an aircraft to Can fly. We say clap on this show. <laughs> Apparently, we yes, we, a, we clap we, you, uh, Al. <laughs> happy, happy anniversary. Yes, happy anniversary. Things have moved on. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm just drunk now. I'm, we, I don't care anymore. <laughs> we haven't got any Armando this week, but we still have got some military news. And uh, Armando's pre-recorded these for us, which is very kind of him, being oh, he's uh, a very busy man, but he has uh, pre-recorded these. So uh, if everyone's ready, let's uh, let's go with some military news. In this first military story, the U.S. Air Force is evaluating the use of electric vertical takeoff and landing, or EVTOL aircraft, for missions like medical evacuation and search and rescue. Officials at the Air Force Research Lab reported that AFWorks, Agility Prime, and a California-based company named Kitty Hawk reached a milestone in May for their first operational exercise. Lieutenant Colonel Martin Salinas, the mission design team lead in the Air Force Operational Test and Evaluation Center, said that this exercise produced important data that will bolster the program going forward. The technology and companies in the AFWorks Agility Prime program continue to mature rapidly, with this new partner, Kitty Hawk, joining the government and industry team. In this first program exercise, a diverse group of industry and government operators, engineers, and test professionals assessed the ability to do medical evacuation, personnel recovery, and logistics with Kitty Hawk's eVTOL aircraft. The Kitty Hawk team also demonstrated the heavy size remote flying capabilities. Sebastian Thruen, the Kitty Hawk CEO, said, The world is going to need new modes of transportation, and heavy side is one path to get us there. We are excited to be working with Agility Prime and look forward to our continued collaboration as we bring eVTOLs to more people. Founded in 2010, the company uh, is based in California. They've developed numerous eVTOL vehicles, including the heavy side vehicle named after the English engineer. Oliver Heaviside. Designed to be fast, small, quiet, and green, the aircraft flies at up to 180 miles per hour with a potential range of 100 miles plus reserves on a single charge. That's according to Kitty Hawk's website. Heaviside takes off and lands in a 30 foot by 30 foot space and reaches sound levels of 38 decibels at 1,000 feet. That is 100 times quieter than any helicopter and requires less than half of the energy per mile of a conventional electric car. Uh, the uh, 
Lieutenant Colonel said that the Agility Prime and Kitty Hawk teams facilitated the convergence of Air Force and Marine Corps testers and operators to engage with Heaviside, all while experimenting within the context of personnel recovery and logistics as use case scenarios. So I'm sure we will see more and more of these uh, experiments with electric aircraft as we continue to see them develop. There we go. Thank you, Armando. Thank you, Armando. Yeah, absolutely. Very important, I tell you, that story, right, when you look at it, right, when you're in the uh, in the combat zone and you want to evacuate um, injured people yeah. and you don't want the enemy to hear the helicopters flying in to pick up the injured people, right. using these, uh, these electric um, medivac, they wouldn't, you know, they're a lot quieter, so it's a hell of a lot I, more I'm safer. afraid I don't, I don't associate any form of military vehicle with quiet. With electric or quiet. Uh, yeah, yeah, quiet, yeah. I, I think in general. Uh, can we talk about the, uh, the, the picture that he sent uh, for us to put up with all of these pictures, by the way? I, I mean, know. honestly... Oh, honestly, the life he has. He's, is, a, ter he's a terrible life, he does. Yeah, he's absolutely. Well, I mean, he's earned the right, I know, because let's be honest, you know, he was in the in the Air Force for I don't know how long. But anyway. So yes. the next one yeah. uh, Armand has got for us this week is uh, all about uh, the Navy's new tanker drone. Goodness. From military.com, the Navy's new tanker drone just refueled a Super Hornet fighter jet for the first time. During the test, the fighter tailed the drone, known as the MQ-25T1. It steadied itself at the proper airspeed before attaching to the drone's uh, probe and drogue system, according to a Navy release. The T1 then transferred fuel from the aircraft from its aerial refueling store pod, fastened under its wing, according to photos uh, which accompanied the re this release. Rear Admiral Brian Corey, the program executive officer for unmanned aviation and strike weapons, said that this flight lays the foundation for integration into the carrier environment, allowing for greater capability towards manned, unmanned teaming concepts. The MQ-25 will greatly increase the range and endurance of future carrier air wings, equipping our Navy aircraft carriers with additional assets well into the future. Service leaders announced in November that they wanted to base a squadron of 20 MQ-25A tanker drones which they expect to revolutionize carrier air wings at Naval Base Ventura County in Point Magoo, California. The Navy is studying how the drone, capable of not only refueling aircraft in flight, but also conducting intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance programs, they, how that will improve carrier air wing operations. It will, it will be the Pentagon's first operational carrier-based unmanned aircraft. The service first experimented with the semi-autonomous Northrop Grumman-made X-47B prototype in 2015, making it the first unmanned aircraft it refueled in flight. In that exercise, the unmanned combat aerial vehicle received fuel from a Boeing 707 tanker. The Navy ultimately shelved the X-47 program following those initial tests and the two drones that it had in its inventory. Navy leaders have called the Stingray a game-changer for carrier operations since it will free up manned tankers to perform other missions. The MQ-25 is expected to conduct refueling for deployed Super, Horner, Super Hornets, EA-18 Growlers, and the service's F-35C Joint Strike Fighter. The Boeing Navy teams will now analyze the data from the first flight, such as air-wake interactions, and how the aircraft may improve other flight parameters according to the release. The teams will determine whether future adjustments are needed, such as software updates to assist in operations. Potential modifications are not expected to disrupt follow-on tests, according to the Navy. Wow, it's all getting 
all getting very uh, drony now with all these uh, unmanned things. I mean, uh, is this what's going to be dominating now the news stories all with military? Very drony. Well, you know, unmanned. All right, unmanned aerial vehicles. <laughs> Who do you think you are? You've just been rude towards. I thought you'd been rude towards Armando. Then I was going to say, oh, no, no. there's an awful lot of work for the show, and you call him very drony. Very trust. <laughs> trust me, Al. Uh, uh, um, Armando could drone on for about three hours and would still have a full chat yes, room and we would, audience very much of people. So, yeah, so, yeah. Absolutely. It's, uh, but we do really appreciate him taking the time because his diary is ridiculous at the moment. I mean, it it's is, just, yeah. yeah. And I'm complaining about having to get up at 4 a.m. for, for <laughs> one week. I mean, honestly. <sighs> so, moving on to the next uh, of Armando's uh, little uh, bits of audio for the oh, military this week. Oh, oh yes. And, I have uh, let the show down once again. <laughs> this one is from the AIN online, and uh, this is all about uh -huh. the US Air Force retiring the last open skies aircraft. Guys, this next military story from AIN online. The US Air Force retires its last open skies aircraft. On June 4th, the 45th Reconnaissance Squadron of the 55th Wing at Offutt Air Force Base near Omaha, Nebraska, held the ceremony to officially retire the last of its OC-135s. Aircraft 61-2670 was due to fly into storage at the Boneyard at Davis-Monthan just a few days later. A total of three OC-135s were produced, beginning with a single aircraft in an interim fit which entered service in October of 1993. It was followed by two aircraft in full mission configuration. Tail number 670 was one of those aircraft, and in May 1996 it began flying its peacetime reconnaissance and arms treaty verification flights on behalf of the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, or DITRA, many of which were over Russia. For the treaty monitoring mission, the OC-135s were modified with four cameras in the rear fuselage, comprising of one vertical and two oblique framing cameras used for low-altitude photography and one panoramic camera for high-altitude photography. Typically, the missions with 35 personnel consisting of, of flight crew, DITRA crew members, and representatives from the host, host nation and a maintenance crew. The latter was an integral element of the mission as the aircraft operated for extended periods within the host nation. The OC-135s received some avionics upgrades that ensured compliance with ICAO-mandated global air traffic management regulations. As well as its open skies duties, the aircraft also performed other survey and humanitarian work, notably in the wake of the aircraft earthquake that devastated Haiti in 2010. By the time of its retirement, tail number 670 had amassed more than 36,500 flight hours in the course of more than 13,000 sorties. It was one of the last C-135s in the U.S. service powered by the Pratt & Whitney TF-33 low bypass ratio turbofans with which it was delivered. I mean, yeah, incredible stuff again. It, yeah, I love it. In fact, actually, Mr. Mr. Warner's just sent me a photograph, which has only just come through. Otherwise, I would actually pop it up for you. I will try and do that. While Carlos talks about it, I will I will try and do that. Um, he was saying that he saw that exact... Uh, Jonathan's saying, I saw that exact aircraft in the UK a couple of years ago at Bryce Norton, which is quite cool. Yeah, yeah. You, you, can, you can tell this one. Obviously, this looks completely different from... Uh, from well, from the usual kind of 707 mm. guys that you see here at Mildenhall with the all grey, because this has got the white top fuselage uh, on this one. Because uh, they ran out of paint. It's, yes, because they ran out of paint. And also the engine, the engine nacelles also all painted white as well, as opposed to all grey. 
So, uh, yes, thank you for that, Jonathan Warner. Nice to see you in the chat room. And also, uh, we're going to make a quick mention, uh, aren't we, Nev, to, uh, to a listener as well over in Australia. Yes, poor old Ray. He's, he's back in hospital again. So let's hope uh, they fix whatever's wrong uh, this time around, Ray. And uh, very best wishes to you. Mm, absolutely. All of us yeah. on the show. Yeah, all the best, Absolutely, Ray. Absolutely, Ray. Um, all jokes aside, I, you know, I hope that, um, I mean, yeah, we hope that they can fix you. And if not, that, you know, they've provided you with some stunningly gorgeous nurses to look after you. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. I'm sure they have. <laughs> right, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so moving on to the, oh, bless him, Ray, you'll love that. So moving on to the uh, last military story, uh, you'll be pleased to know, Captain Al. And whoa, 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 this whoa, week. whoa, hang on, hang on. There's been far too much military here. <laughs> This uh, this one uh, is actually actually going to be upsetting for uh, for Matt because uh, the Pentagon uh, are shelving plans for the new Air Force Two, which of course, as we all know, is a seven five seven. So uh, oh, that's a shame. Are they going to go and sort of set fire to it? I don't know. Armando Armando is very kind in able to tell us all. Air Force Two. It sounds like the the latest range of vacuum cleaners from something like <laughs> Shark, doesn't it? <laughs> Well don't, oh, don't get me started on that because we ordered a new vacuum cleaner this week and it hasn't arrived. Oh, oh dear, mother's devastated. She really is. Uh, anyway, right. hit the button, Matt. Hit the button. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm on the wrong screen. There we go. Let's go, guys. This last story from DefenseOne.com: The Pentagon is abandoning its plans to replace its small fleet of Boeing 757s that serve as Air Force Two, the jetliners that fly the vice president and other top-level cabinet officials. Funding for the project has been eliminated in the Air Force's fiscal year 2022 budget request, which was sent to Congress last week. According to these budget documents, after 2020, remaining funding in this effort was applied to the evaluation and maturation of advanced high-speed transport-scale aircraft, with the potential to expand the defense industrial base and serve as C-32 replacements at the appropriate time. Last year, the Air Force awarded contracts to develop fast-moving executive transport planes to three startup companies, Exosonic and Boom Supersonic, which are developing supersonic passengers, uh, passenger jets, and Hermes, which is developing a hypersonic passenger aircraft. The nixing of these Air Force Two replacements come three months after General Jacqueline Van Ovost, head of Air Mobility Command, called the C-32A, which is the military de designation for the Boeing 757, quote, a very capable aircraft. She said, we have the executive communications on board, and we've been modifying that to ensure that our senior leaders remain connected at all times. These C-32s are also a backup to the larger VC-25, which is the Boeing 747 used by the president. Now, the president occasionally uses the C-32 to fly to airports with runways too short for the VC-25. The 757 is unique in that it can fly long distances from runways too short for larger, wide-body airplanes. Boeing stopped making the 757 in 2005. Earlier this year, the company resumed work on designing a replacement after those efforts were put on hold in 2020 as the, fo the company focused on fixing problems with the 737 MAX. Four years ago, the C-32 was part of an Air Force and Navy study that looked at replacing VIP transports and three other types of command and control airplanes with a single aircraft. However, an analysis wrapped up in September 2020 and recommended no impact or actions for the C-32 fleet. Right now, we are not moving forward with any sort of combination of big airplane, uh, single aisle that can do multiple missions for the executive airlift side, Van Ovo said. 
The Air Force is still moving forward with the plans to replace the E-4 National Airborne Operations Center, more commonly known as the Doomsday Plane, because it can send the nuclear weapon launch codes to aircraft, missile silos, and submarines. And then she said, it's far too big and it won't fit. <laughs> uh, That's the vacuum cleaner into the cupboard, by the way. Of course, Sorry, just, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we were absolutely. having a vacuum cleaner conversation. Yes, uh, that, was, that, was, uh, that was great, Armando. I, I thoroughly enjoyed those. Um, so I look forward to next week's. I just, anyway. Uh, you know, this... sometimes I do wish that, they, that the audience could hear the conversations. I mean, we'd never be able to broadcast again. But... Can you imagine it? We'd have, we'd have like a... We wouldn't have an 18 rating. It would be like a 99 least, yeah, rating. Yeah. Is it R-rated, they call it yeah, in the States? That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, moving on, because we are running uh, short of time here, and yes. APG are well, following Well, if we're running us, short of time, it'd have to be a 69 rating then, wouldn't it, if we can't get all the way up to 99? Well, quite, indeed, yes. Anyway, uh, pretend that didn't happen, move on. And Ray Davis <laughs> is in the uh, in the chat room, oh, so hey, hello Ray. to you, Ray. Hi, 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 hi. Hey, yeah, Ray. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. Uh, I've, um, I've lined up two dollies for you. Right, so, uh, good, yeah, excellent. Okay. So, there. caption this, <laughs> our weekly picture that I've we put on our Facebook page each week for you to send or to write witty captions I'm so for. looking forward to hacking this section of the show at some point. <laughs> and uh, this uh, this week we had uh, a rather edited photo of uh, an aircraft Oh, you here. mean this wasn't real? No, unfortunately there is no such airline as, uh, as PTUK Airways. Right, um, okay. But uh, yeah, we had uh, quite a few responses to this picture. Uh, okay. Just those describe you... the picture for those who are listening on the audio uh, podcast. I'm going to say A320L. <laughs> Al, Al's looking. Well, yeah, you, you've, you've. Well, I was going to say something rude. Then you fannied around with it so much, it's difficult to tell. <laughs> but, um, yeah, quite probably. Right. Yeah, we've, okay. got, we've got an A three twenty with uh, at a some large, point in its life, a yeah. large group of people uh, on the roof uh, whilst the aircraft is taxiing uh, to take off. Yes, no, it's okay. um, is in is it take off landing? I'm just trying to well, see where the flaps are. I would say take off. Yeah, possibly take off. Only because the no. Uh, well, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. So we've got a large group of people anyway on top of the aircraft yeah. who oh, obviously. No, well, um, no, it is landing down, isn't it? Because the little puff of smoke on the back wheels. Oh yes, as it it's comes landing. Down. Yeah, landing, yeah, so, yes. And they've, yeah. they've obviously. I assume just, you don't um, get puffs of smoke taking off. Well, hope, hopefully do not. Do you, Al? No. Do you get no. puffs of smoke when taking off? <laughs> Where shall I go with these puffs? Okay. Right. Um, okay. Anyway. <laughs> oh no. Okay. We're right. out of time. We're out of time. Let's yeah. go. So. Anyway, for those of you, uh, obviously we'll get some comments in the chat room, no doubt, but uh, we had, uh, right, so the first comment we had on our Facebook page was from David, who says, PTUK Airways, every second one gets through. Okay, thank you, David. Quite. Uh, uh, Nev, take Liam. Uh, yes, Liam says, maker of Aloha 243 reenactment. Reads memo. <laughs> oh, dear. Just close to the, close to the edge there. Yes, um, indeed. <clears throat> Al, do you want to take the next one? Uh, no, because I'm just trying to find it. So I'll come back to me in a moment. Okay, okay. Uh, okay I've got it. Yeah, yeah. This is from Jake, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, finally solved the problem of cabin temperature. Those who think <laughs> it's too hot have special new seats. <laughs> new special seats, sorry. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, do you want to take the next one, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. This is from Matt, not me. He said, you've heard of banana boat rides. Uh, take, well, take a look at this, uh, it says. <laughs> Stan, uh, Stan says, what happens if the cabin pressure drops? Well, <laughs> I've got it, chaps. I've oh, got it. Okay, go on. I've got the venue for the 400th show. Oh, no. It's the oh, no. Banana Bar in Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Thank you, Matt, for 
putting that into my mind. Right, right, Nev. <laughs> what's the next one? Uh, Dari says, uh, looks very much reminiscent of something R. Clarkson would have done in Secret Workshop. Cue the music. Uh, Glenn says, extra seating free with every Sukhoi Superjet sold. Right, okay, I mean, you know, plenty of space. Uh, 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 Al, do you want the next one? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is um, from that bounder Neville. And he says, uh, if lower airlines can do it, so can we. Oh, how close to the mark, Neville. Have I missed something here? Uh, Nigel says, cheap fare, no mask, panoramic view, the perfect flight. True, absolutely. So don't have to worry about yeah. social distancing there, do you? I'm hoping that when your new vacuum cleaner comes that you're not actually going, have I missed something here? Because that would be indicative of a failure of the vacuum cleaner, wouldn't it? So, Nev, do you want the next one? Uh, yeah, John says, uh, we wish to apologise for the cancellations uh, to the uh, 1804 train to Delhi. The replacement plane service will honour all tickets. Uh, I like that. that that's, that's my favourite. Yeah, yeah, I think that's my uh, favourite, yeah. Al, do you want to take the next one? Uh, yeah, this is from David, and uh, his, uh, his offering is extra legroom included on the rooftop seats and someone's put a nice little picture in the show notes right and uh, Jonathan says economy is upstairs and, and to, to the, the right, right. <laughs> okay so go. there we go thank you right. for all your comments on Facebook guys and girls don't forget to keep your eyes out on Wednesday again next week where we'll be putting, uh, posting uh, a new picture for you to caption I'm just reading Indeed. through the uh uh, Captain Cruz is obviously he's on the ball because he's 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 actually knows what the airline is and it's uh, uh, Attacker El Salvador A319. Thank oh, there you, we Captain go. Oh, Cruz. Right. Okay, very good. And yes. that's why we have a chat room, guys yeah, and girls. Indeed, absolutely. absolutely. Thank you very much for that. And if we can't come up with a suitably aviation-themed caption contest, we'll show a photo of uh, Matt's new vacuum cleaner. Right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Why not? What's the worst could happen? Uh, <laughs> right, Is so a shark. Uh, hopefully, yes. Uh, <laughs> okay, good, good. So moving on, Rechargeable. we're going to we're going to go. Uh, uh, no, it's a, it's a it's a plug-in job. Plug-in job. Okay, yeah. it's a plug-in. Very good. So Excellent. we uh, we've got some uh, listener feedback which we're going to play on out on next week's show. Actually, we've got had an email come in, but we're going to put that on next week's show. Yep. Uh, but we have got some news for the week ahead. So coming up, on... is that because I'm not on next week and you don't it's... want me to actually alienate <laughs> Possibly. any more listeners? Possibly. Possibly. Oh, fair enough. No, we'll have you on again. Don't panic, don't panic. <laughs> so coming up on next week's show, everyone, for those of you who are fans of general aviation uh, or uh, fans of X-Plane 11, because you can use it on there as well, uh, we have got Rob Hart coming on next week, who is the Head of Marketing and Development uh, Coordinator for Sky Demon. So if any of you uh, listening uh, our GA pilots and use the app Sky Demon in the on the uh, flight deck or on your in your Cessna or Piper or whatever you fly. I know uh, Captain Al uses Sky Demon. Uh, I do indeed. Very good it is. We have uh, Rob coming on next week's show, so he'll he'll be on with us uh, from eight o'clock. So we'll go live at seven, and then Rob should be hopefully joining us around about eight o'clock to come and chat with us all about Sky Demon and what's uh, what's going on with the app. <laughs> 
Sorry, uh, APG's just gone live, and I've just noticed we're live on APG at the oh, moment. Oh, we on APG. <laughs> oh, okay. Hello, APG. Well, hello, oh, that APG. won't last long once they realise I'm on. <laughs> no, that's true. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, come on, quickly, because so, they're waiting for uh, us. Social media links. Go. Social media links. <laughs> Don't forget, if you want to contact us, you can through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Follow us on Preferably through a lawyer, just to avoid <laughs> yeah, any yeah. embarrassment. The WhatsApp number, if you want to put your picture. If you're picture... the marketing manager for sharp <laughs> vacuum cleaners, then we can do a special feature where Matt takes one of your vacuum cleaners on a skydive. <laughs> no! So no. if you want to uh, put a picture of Matt skydiving on no, the green no, screen don't. behind no. us here, you can send your pictures in to plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Uh, you can email the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and don't forget our website all allofw.plaintalkinguk.com where you can find our links to Patreon if you want to become a patron of the show or PayPal as well if you want to donate a small couple of quid to the show uh, it all helps uh, to push the show forward uh, why not try subscribing as well if you haven't already to our YouTube channel uh, you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the live YouTube chat room and don't forget as well while you're on our website website do your shopping through our amazon link if you are buying stuff which i already have this week Woo-hoo. very good and uh, you can also find all the links on there to our shop where you can purchase yourself a very fine ptuk t-shirt <laughs> and an alfie uh, we're selling yeah, alfie this right, month. Yeah. free with, uh, free with every free purchase with every t-shirt yeah. <laughs> uh, or a mug as well a ptuk mug uh, which we are also having on the website fantastic as well. and, and alfie's just, just coming to the studio oh is he yellow alfie oh, and just in case you were unaware if you subscribed to the shark email you'll get 10% off the shark ninja uh, you can subscribe by going to the sharkclean.com website uh, where you can find some fantastic vacuum cleaners that will go skydiving with Matt and there we go for the benefit of the YouTube viewers <laughs> there is There's Alfie, Alfie the dog Alfie. Yeah, absolutely. the star of the show right anyway go on so that's it then, guys and girls. That is where we are going to bring episode 371 of the show to a close. Big thanks uh, to uh, our producer, John, for all his work in the background over the course of this week. Uh, big thanks to Nev uh, for being on the show tonight and being awesome as always. Thank you, Nev. And uh, big thanks to Matt sitting beside me here. The guy's been pressing all the right buttons and doing everything correctly all during the show. Thank you, Matt. And also not forgetting a massive thanks to our guests tonight on the show. Cause, because, let's be fair, uh, Aviation Podcast wouldn't be an Aviation Podcast without Captain Al being on as a guest. So thank <laughs> you, Al. You're most welcome, and I promise not to mess with the show notes next time. <laughs> So that's it, guys and girls. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Enjoy APG, which is starting very soon. And uh, don't forget to tune in next Friday for the show. And uh, we'll have a great weekend. And we'll see you next week. 